paid some kind of a hiccup to a government because even in the socialist part, they didn't bring in the most lefty. Uh, so they were expelled pro from negotiations. So on the uh, left part of the agenda, it was five parties, but only four of them uh, were, uh, a were allowed to play on the soccer field. And only two of them were in power that had posts of uh, like ministers uh, and uh, high. Yeah, everything high was only of two of the five. And now the fifth wheel uh, did get angry over regulations of uh, flats, the, how you can rent them and the price you can set for a new built flat. And that actually made everything go kaboom. Mm. Uh, so this is, uh, so it actually organized one of the three things that Tyler brought up last week, that these are the three things that we need to fix to make this uh, to make a better growth of startups and countries in in general housing, housing is the is third the point you brought up and that was destroyed or, or rather they put a reset button on the government in sweden it's it's so ironic because as a newcomer to stockholm who you know uh i'm i'm not a i'm not you know despite what others might tell you i'm not exactly an idiot and you know kind of know <laughs> how to function and <laughs> get get through life <laughs> unscathed um arriving in stockholm i was just really confused like i thought i was losing my mind about how difficult it was to find an apartment to rent i mean it's just truly puzzlingly bizarrely impossible to find an apartment to rent and even if you do, it's only for two or three months while someone else is on some long vacation somewhere and then they come back and then you're, you're and this happens a lot. People are moving every three months uh, and to trying to find a, a stable place to live. And they're, if they do find a place that they could stay for a year, they'll happily take something well below their means just for this, the, the stability of maintaining um, one location, not having to move repeatedly, which it starts to become a real pain in the ass. And I thought, this is just not sustainable. It's just, is. I mean, I was living in, at one point, a student housing with, with a bunch of students, which, by the way, wasn't so bad, actually. <laughs> and then very I went from that straight to an old folks community full of 80-year-old people, which also was not so bad, actually. <laughs> and I even had, one time I had a friend come pick me up in his car and I said where I was, and he's like, he pulls up to the front. He's like, who are you visiting here? I'm like, no, I live here. He's like, what? what he goes you know what this is i said why what do you think it is he goes it's an old folks housing i said yeah well that explains why all my neighbors are 80 years old i guess and um you know and it was and i lived in hotels for months and uh and everything every scenario you can imagine and that's how impossible it is to to get an apartment there so it, in, in part it it it's I don't want to say that it's karma. I wish no ill will on Sweden at all, but it's like it, whatever it takes to get that issue resolved is long overdue. There are people that claims it's easier to get a flat in Hong Kong. Oh, I don't doubt. It might be easier to get one on the fucking International Space Station. Um, <laughs> get a bunk up there. Get a bunk on the moon. Um, get a trip trip to Mars. But um, yeah, well... Um, there are, uh, fortunately other cities where now that people don't have to work in, in any given particular place, we all got the freedom and luxury. We can get a goddamn van and put a, 
put a Starlink on the ceiling and uh, drive, you know, for seven uh, seven days deep into the Amazon rainforest and do our Skype calls and, and clubhouse meetings from there. Welcome to the future, everybody. We call it tech news around the world. What's Gothenburg like? Uh, Sorry, I was going to ask you, Tyler, what's Go- Gothenburg like? Is it a, a second-tier city for startups? No, and they constantly uh, begrudge, not so much as uh, Malmo does. Malmo's still a little bit bitter that Stockholm kind of exploded. And it's, it's Malmo slightly suffers from the fact that they are literally across the bridge from Copenhagen. And Copenhagen becomes sort of the gravity of the startup ecosystem um, in that you know, right there. So it, uh, the the citizens of Malmo are kind of, in a weird way, more part of the Danish ecosystem than the Swedish ecosystem. And then um, back to your question about Gothenburg is they have a, a, a really good technical university, Chalmers, which I believe Johan went to yourself. Did you not, Johan? One, yeah. one of uh, Sweden's leading tech universities for sure. The problem is, is as soon as they graduate, they kind of make a beeline straight for Stockholm because that's where the money is and the jobs are and the opportunities and the, and the ecosystem that we developed uh, very consciously. And the, uh, the people who are in Gothenburg have been... Swedes are... Uh, they're, they're not so great at the community building uh function uh so it's not a coincidence that myself came and they this is often discussed uh uh, like it took an american to come and kind of bring the swedes together and function as a community in stockholm as we have as a startup ecosystem and and also the other event organizers who organize the other tech events are you know there's only a handful of American tech Americans in Stockholm. And then they all happen to be event organizers. <laughs> a lot of them, uh, a lot of the top of uh, tech events are organized by Americans and non-Swedes. And to that point, the big annual conference that I do, my whole team of which I have a kind of a hardcore team of about 10 people. You met one of them here last month. Um, Gabenya, who's from Nigeria, works at Google. And then I've got um, other team members that are uh, a Ukrainian, um, uh, someone from Lebanon. It's I, out of the ten members, only one of them is a quote-unquote traditional Swede. Uh, just to highlight the point of like the community spirit is being driven in part by kind of as is common in Silicon Valley, the the kind of first-generation immigrants. And there's something about the first-generation immigrants wherever they are, Silicon Valley, Stockholm, whatever, where they. Um, uh, uh, and it's a, by the way, Sebastian from Klarna, which is now uh, Sweden's second biggest uh, startup at now a $45 billion valuation due to their new fundraising last week. Sebastian, along with Mark Zuckerberg and Tim, remember my friends in Paris did their big event last week called VivaTech, where they had Tim Cook, uh, Apple CEO Tim Cook. They had uh, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg. They also had Klarna's CEO, Sebastian, who you've heard me rave about because he's a fundamental supporter of my events. And Sebastian got on stage and watch. I'll I'll try and I think you can find the video online. If somebody can, I'll retweet it from the Twitter account so everyone can see it. And the first thing he talks about is he was first generation immigrant from Poland. His parent, you know, um, and I, I don't think that's a coincidence, even when you look at the unicorn founders of Stockholm, of which we have about 16 or 17 now. Um, they are disproportionately first-generation immigrants, just like Silicon Valley. So it's an it's an interesting dynamic. 
One of the fun things with Sebastian that he's really, really active in the social media. He actually goes in and answers questions in the e-commerce mm-hmm. parts of Facebook, uh, where we are, we are quite a few hangs around there. And the first time he actually posted some something there, somebody just drew the card and said, oh, you have a communicator to have a lender his account. But no, hell, it's me. So he actually sent one of these Reddit pages about, this is me. We're talking to e-commerce Sweden, uh, Sebastian, with a shot of, with him in front of yeah. his desk in his office. So, yeah, it was him. Yeah, there's a beautiful down-to-earthness uh about the the Swedish geeks where we don't let ourselves get too big of a head and uh try and keep it real and Sebastian's are, is real. And anyway, let's let's jump into headlines from around the world as we are notorious for doing and um there's some breaking news happening as we speak. Um before I get into my lengthy stack as usual, people are sending all kinds of tweets into our Twitter account at TNATW by finding fantastic tech articles and headlines and tweeting them out from their accounts. They include uh, us in, as part of their tweet so that we see it, which is uh, TNATW, short for Tech News Around the World. I retweet the best ones. We discuss them here. And while we discuss them, other people in the audience are finding additional related headlines and tweeting those out. And it keeps the game going uh, for at least a few hours. And let's do it. So if anyone on stage is burning with a headline, popcorn style have at it oh did you see the petition i did harry and a bunch of people are tweeting that one at the moment that there's a signature collection now that jeff bezos (laughs) is going up into space on his own rocket with his brother no less and the whoever won the auction to sit next to them which what does someone remember the final price of that something crazy like that um that uh now that he's going up into space there's a large signature collection to uh refuse him entry back to earth (laughs) i don't know that there's much more to the story than that it's just um yeah yeah that's it (laughs) guess who's come back back down to earth oh holy cow welcome back david chang welcome back to Oh, man. Hi there! Hi, so <laughs> You're still safe. Oh, you're safe. I miss you're alive. you, David. <laughs> Did you have a nice <laughs> cup of tea, David? Um, a whole a whole tub of tea. Um, I I just got to the U.S. and I just have and I've just been vaccinated. So Yay. wanted to come and say hi yeah. to everyone. We have so much to catch uh, the up. The mainstream David. media is. Uh, well, I, I guess we can't say what David's been DMing Cal and I, but uh, David's been busy. <laughs> and um, all, all I can say is that he Jim was Kramer playing chess with Jack Ma. Finger painting with Jack Ma. <laughs> yeah, exactly. J- Jim Cramer's just catching up. Yep. So, um, da- well, yeah, David. Uh... Oh, Did Monica, guys... welcome. I What's going on in news. India? Yeah. I have some breaking news, and it's actually not such great news for uh, Jeff Bezos, okay. who may not want to come back from space, okay. um, at least not to India. The government has proposed a lot of changes for e-commerce firms in India under pressure from trade and government bodies, specifically that e-commerce platforms such as Amazon and Flipkart cannot offer flash sales of any goods or services. E-tellers must appoint grievance officers and chief compliance officers. I hope that sounds familiar to you. Uh, Title rules for private brands that have the name of the associated e-commerce platform. 
uh, Amazon Basics, anyone? Uh, company selling imported goods should uh, name the country of origin. This is because Amazon and uh, has flouted uh, and violated rules where they have not mentioned made in China brands. Uh, and stakeholders can send feedback on promoted uh, amendments by July sixth. So this is indirect response of a lot of lobbying, specifically by uh, merchant associations within the country, um, opposing both Amazon and Flipkart flouting FDI rules, specifically with their own. Uh, Uh, party brands, which they call, uh, which they uh, uh, provide the inventory for, it's called Amazon Basics in India, and then there is Etail by Flipkart, uh, which actually uh, sells more than fifty to sixty percent of all merchandise on these uh, online stores. So this is huge breaking news, and unfortunately, not such great news yeah. for Amazon or Flipkart. Well, speak. There's other really negative news about Amazon at the moment that I just tweeted out, which is that apparently. Um, there's an investigation that finds that Amazon has been destroying thousands of unsold goods at its UK-based warehouse. Sources say, and they have the video receipts to prove it. Sources say uh, 130,000 items destroyed each week. And this is uh, ITV is claiming an exclusive on this um, that an employee. Uh, got this video footage. Uh, thank you to Mike Butcher from TechCrunch, a personal old friend, who shared it, uh, and I just shared that out to our Twitter account at TNATW, short for Tech News Around the World. And um, I have to assume, if it's happening in one location, that this is sort of a secret policy potentially. And hey, tech journalists, here's a wild story to dig on: Is Amazon intentionally destroyed? Tyler, just quickly, can can you can you unpack the uh, the uh, the India situation on Amazon and the effects of Flipkart and the indoor in issues let, around Twitter? Well, let's and, let Monica that, do that, if possible. Hey, let me just add to everybody: today is Amazon Prime Day. Just so you know, mm. this is on the hooves of well, the it also day. happens to be uh, exactly. Midsummer, which is the most important day in Scandinavia, due to the fact that it's the Uh, the longest, you know, it's the solstice, uh, summer solstice, which is the longest day of the year, which uh, doesn't sound so important until you live in a part of the world that doesn't have any sun for half of the year, and then it becomes incredibly important. <laughs> and so, uh, happy, glad midsummer to all of my Scandinavian friends. It it is the, hmm? and it's also, sorry, and it's also National yeah. Indigenous Day. Uh, in Canada, yes. Sorry. Well, people north we're quite, celebrating the solstice as well. Uh, Canadians maybe are more sensitive to the daylight uh, element, uh, but yeah, Scandinavians midsummer is the peak uh, celebration of the year. And uh, the... what I find quite intriguing about this is this, the, the importance of the day of Amazon, the Flipkart IPO, and everything going on, and then this coming out right around the Twitter. Issues and everything. Monica, can you assist a little bit on this and provide a, just a little bit of an explanation for, for sure. the likes of me, please? So for us, this has been going on for the past three years. Uh, CAIT, which is Confederation of All India Traders Association, is a huge body which actually comprises of all the main uh, mom and pop stores as well as other traders who typically do business in the offline environment. Ever since Amazon and Flipkart set up business in India, they have been opposing the 
uh, setup of not only foreign marketplaces but the huge discounting that happens they have been uh, not only signing petitions but they have been actually going to the supreme court of india asking for these marketplaces to be banned because they create unfair uh, competition uh, which uh, offline traders are not able to compete with having said that the uh, the traders bodies have also actually created their own unions uh, and unions are very popular in our side of the world but whereby they have actually tried to create online marketplaces for these particular traders uh, and merchants now as far as amazon and flipkart are concerned the biggest problems that have been cited with them which the government has warned them about earlier has been the huge discounting practices specifically with smartphones which were created which were sold in flash sales which actually created this whole discounting regime which has made uh, offline retailers go out of business and second is the ability for them to uh, sell their own brands under the brand of a third party seller which is actually themselves as a separate entity so for example amazon has amazon basics and it actually does a lot of their own um, inventory management uh, through a separate company and flipkart has ecart which also does the same thing so essentially what this means is that merchants on the platform which is sellers on the platform do not get the same parity are not at the same parity as local competition should be when they are competing with the likes of a billion dollar organization which these companies are further to that there was also fdi rules which is foreign direct investment rules that were being flouted shareholding to less I'm, i'm forgetting the exact number which i'll have to look up but this happened in 2018 where they would know they would have to reduce their shareholding and that there would be a competition body in india which would be affecting uh, them uh, to regulation now after all this in the last two months uh, there has been a serious amount of effort on the government side associated with regulating e-commerce and there are associations and this is again a very very south asian problem to have but there are many parts of the government which want to actually regulate but also be responsible for the uh, competition monopoly as well as the regulation of e-commerce in general but they haven't been able to pinpoint and find one administrative um, wing behind it in between of all this the cait team and i know that there are lobbyists behind it because there are other lobbyists who work with them in order to promote indian mms msmes etc they went to the supreme court and now uh, the e-commerce guidelines that have been released by the government of india simply says that the department of trade and commerce will ensure that the e-commerce companies fall in line and they are supposed to comply with the rules and regulations without flouting um the serious violations that have been uh, told to them have not been taken into account which is why they need to have a grievance officer and a chief compliance officer stationed within the country again um, just for uh, noting amazon does have a huge indian ecosystem and a huge development center built out of two main cities in india in southern india which is bangalore and chennai they have spent more than about 6 billion dollars on just india however the local the compliance officers is become a major need of the indian government and that is still not being satisfied and the government has asked for them to do that also most importantly revised rules require ecom companies to share information with the government within 72 hours of receipt of the order i hope that this reminds you of the of the similar yes, mandate yes, yes. Right? So and last sorry, sorry go, go ahead. ahead 
so sorry, um, j just just a quick one because I I don't want to take up too much time on this stage, Monica. I don't know if you were here the day that another friend, and I'm not going to name him. And if you're not comfortable answering this question, please don't, because I do know that um, certain governments are conducting certain favors to individuals that are commenting openly on this platform. So please do care for that. But this sounds very familiar, and I know the company that it sounds familiar to. Another good mm -hmm. friend of ours on this stage was commenting, and we'd come up with a nice thesis that sounded like the government is very keen on the fact that they that wish... They wish I won't, I won't say fact, but it looks like the government is very keen to get to put these certain legislations in place or put these orders in place that are going to, in the long run, put these Western players in a position where they need to essentially get forced out of the ecosystem because they've got these large giants that they, can, that they have the ability to create themselves. The economy is creating some of the largest giants in the world, and, and hats off to India for doing that. They have the power to do this themselves. They have the power to create some of the world's biggest giants themselves. The talent is on the ground. And, and the government seems to be coming up with policies that it's better to do it ourselves. And so this looks like it's, it's a policy across the board for the political you agenda. You cynical bastard. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> so if you're not comfortable answering the question, don't answer it. But... Don't it. Monica, I, I, as your lawyer. I, Monica, Tyler, Tyler, as your lawyer. You were in the room when we did this. You were in the room when me and the other friend did this as a thesis. Yeah, I've been saying this. Uh, yeah, but it's a, it's a question to the room. So I, I'll even take credit for creating this thesis. <laughs> I think this is exactly what everybody's doing. And it circles back to when the room opened, you know, uh, 20 minutes ago when I said that when you have long lunches in Europe, as they are renowned for doing with with politicians, they often start waxing on. Why don't we have our own uh, apples and Amazons and you know Googles? And hmm, what could we do to you know maybe make some different policies? The, the problem is, is you know, I don't know if they're just too soft-hearted or whatever. And then you go to other countries where they're like, no, 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 fuck this. And most <laughs> China, most notably, was like, no, 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 Google, we got this. Thank you. We're gonna make our own Google. And Russia has Yandex. And some countries are just much more, you know, um, competitive and, and understand uh, as I, I think China didn't necessarily do it to, for, in part to, for the economic reasons of having their own tech giants and dragons, as they now do, that have also gotten so big that they need to be regulated and have gotten too powerful. But um, the you know, uh, this whole point now, and, and we're seeing it with Twitter in India, where Twitter's being told that, you know, quietly to get the F out in a w interesting political maneuvering that's happening with Twitter in India at the moment, also in Nigeria. And countries are realizing, in part for the control of the communication, in the case of social networks, we could argue perhaps that countries don't like Twitter and Facebook and or YouTube because when there are things being said on those platforms that they don't like, they want to silence it. And we see these headlines all the time where Big Daddy Vladdy in the Kremlin's telling Google they'd take down these YouTube videos that, he, that hurt his hurt his feelings. <laughs> and um, then. Uh, no, but this country which is one? different, India. Tyler. This country is different. You... India, you mean? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah India. It, it, India well, yeah, yeah, we've well, been talking about it every day for three weeks now. But at, at the end of the day, the way that they're handling Twitter is really interesting to analyze because it started off in the exact same way as it does in Russia, essentially, which is take down these tweets. And Twitter 
plays dumb and is like, oh, we'll get around to it sometime. And they're like, no, 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 you got to take him down now. And it's this cat and mouse game. It's like, uh, you know, like the bad child and the parent. And then eventually, India's like, okay, enough of this nonsense. You need to have somebody on the ground geographically that we can slap around if need be physically. And so Twitter realized, ah, that might not be so good. So we'll hire an attorney uh, to be our representative. And India says, no, no, no. We told you very specifically, it needs to be an actual employee of your company, not a hired third party like an attorney. And yet again, you're stalling, get your shit together, or you're going to lose your kind of protection as a platform, which, um, you know, affords you the, the in, in America, what's called Section 230 in the Safe Harbor Clause, platforms are not responsible for what's said on their platforms. Well, thank God, because there's a lot of stupid YouTube comments. I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, stupid people are abound on the Internet and they say stupid things at an incredible rate. Um, so Twitter, no, when, when India just recently, I don't know, 48, 48 hours ago, 72 hours ago, told Twitter, okay, well, you, you've been playing this game too long. We're now are, as we told you, we would removing, um, your safe protection and you are now responsible for what gets said on your platform. And my God, what could possibly go wrong in a country of a billion people with a government who watches every tweet, uh, very closely. And sure enough, not even 10 minutes went by and somebody said something on Twitter that uh, forced the police to drag the managing director of Twitter India into the police station to make a personal statement, uh, which means don't go anywhere because we might need to put you behind these very um, secure bars. And and, not, and that's where it is today. And I, in analyzing that very peculiar situation, one must uh, theorize or uh, sort of conjecturize that essentially what India is doing is forcing Twitter into a very difficult situation indeed, where uh, the only safe situation is to remove itself. So it wasn't that India kicked Twitter out. It was that Twitter was sort of uh, forced to remove itself for fear of having its staff incarcerated Um Etc. Because they lost uh, the the important thing that makes it possible for them to exist. While the, and this is where it gets back to Faraz's point. Super interestingly, a, an a, a internal domestic competitor was born. What a wild coincidence! Which oh, so amazingly plays very friendly with the government. Oh, all of the government's friends are on the app. The government itself uh, is on the app. Oh, and oh, how interesting that it just got a shit ton of funding. Um, on the exact same day that India's, uh, you know, uh, had sent six or seven gentlemen in uniforms down to Twitter's headquarters to kind of rough them up over why they had put notifications on top of the uh, India's official Twitter account that there might not be fully uh, believable, that they might contain mis misinformation. And that same company, Coup, when, when Nigeria, by the way, ain't playing this game, uh, India has been playing footsie and back and forth and kind of this cat and mouse game. Nigeria don't play that. Nigeria is just like uh, Twitter's banned. If you use Twitter, you're going to jail. And that was just a far more expedited, efficient way of, you know, coming down hard and fast and furious on Twitter. And well, uh, same situation applies that that same Indian startup, uh, the Twitter alternative called Koo, K-O-O, -O, that just got that $30 million of funding. 
then reaches out to Nigeria's leadership and says, hey, uh, having trouble with Twitter? Uh, sorry to hear about that, but we are a very government friendly alternative that you can control anything that we do. And uh, if, if anything is said on our platform, we will happily remove it on a moment's notice without, without hesitation. And by, maybe you should create, a, and sure enough, the Nigerian leadership did create accounts on coup and they are starting to promote coup. And this is the only surprising thing there is that, oh, did we forget to mention? Indeed, Nigeria did have their own domestic version of Twitter that was developing. And so countries are waking up, even democracies, that they it might be better to have their own uh, domestic versions of these social media apps so they don't have to play these games with these uh, American tech companies. And uh, just it makes it easier from a, you know so that you can control the narratives and maybe more importantly create future you know large tech companies domestically so it's a double win but tyler i think you guys are doing a somewhat of a disservice to the world's large democracy though right because if you think about it uh like the democracies in the south asia are very robust compared to uh, North America, even for their problems, mm -hmm. right? Brother, you misunderstood. No, no, no. no, no, hold on for us. Hold on for us. One second. The thing is, if you think about the U.S. system, how many times did uh, Twitter itself self-block certain tweets during the U.S. election, whether it was for pro-Democrats or anti-Republicans? Like, they did do it. And that was, like, not revealed that well, right? And also the media did not go along, like, did not report that. But in India, it's sort of like very like well reported. And sure, the governments do play a role in every country. But I think we need to be careful about sort of the North American idea of what democracy should be. Because if I remember like during the crisis in Sri Lanka, the election crisis, the Sri Lankan uh, judiciary was very strong in fighting against even a corrupt regime. They actually put the machinations of law into place and got things reversed. So the same thing will happen in India. I'm not sure. I'm not the expert on India, but it definitely the there's definitely talk in the uh, the um, intellectual spheres and judicial spheres that will Heyman, get these things interesting... reversed, right? Oh, but no, that's true. That, can, if can I, I, if I might just say, did you, did you yeah, hear yeah. my statement saying this country is different? Yeah, but it's it's a but you have to be careful about what you say by different, right? So the thing right. is, you so have when to. When I say this, so allow me to elaborate on that. Yeah. this country is different. When I say that. I mean, so allow me to elaborate. I, I actually have a genuine dislike of Amazon. Twitter, I actually like. Perhaps I, 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 I don't agree with what the country has done with uh, tw uh, Twitter, and maybe I'm wrong with that, but the Indian nation knows better, and the Indians know better. But I actually think Amazon, in mine, and Tyler's, or maybe other individuals, or I, I have a genuine dislike of Amazon, so I'm quite glad that it's been done to Amazon. I'll leave it at that. But so also I, Twitter... I like the, if you let Sorry, me finish, I quite, yeah, yeah. I quite like the fact, I quite like the fact that India stood up, and India stood up as a nation and has done certain things to major giants like Amazon and has taken its position. I'll stop there. Thank you. But also remember, Twitter. If you think about it, they're being very open with their technology abroad, but internally in U.S., they are very guarded. Right? They have their lobby groups, and they they're very, very, very careful in their steps. But when it goes to any other country, they seem to be, uh, you know, free shooting and letting it go really open. Right? So they also have to be very conscious mm. of cultural no, sensitivities yeah, in their this approaches. Is where, well, and here's Twitter partly why has not because been. it's run by a bunch of Americans, right? And he, now watch this. So. 
in the US. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we covered this all in real time. So when this really started when in India, they were using a hashtag of resign Modi, right? They were trying to tell Modi to resign. It was a, it was a hash, a ha, uh, you know, a viral hashtag, which of course Modi doesn't like. And he's looking at these social media platforms, namely Facebook and Twitter and saying, hey, guys, what the fuck? Get this shit off of your social networks in our country. We we don't want that. And if if need be, we will kick you out. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Right. And so sure enough, the tweets and Facebook posts magically disappear. And then people start saying, ah, we're being silenced by uh, Twitter and Facebook and, uh, you know, the aliens are involved and what the fuck's going on. And then a few days later, simultaneously, during the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, people were using the hashtag uh, Free Palestine. And sure enough, magically, those that content also disappeared somewhat miraculously. And then thanks that we have the incredible luxury of having uh, Michelle, who joins us from Facebook on stage every day, and she explained to us uh, that actually it what it does is the the viral behavior of these hashtags triggers uh, machine learning algorithms that quarantine it until it deserves further recognition. In part because some while some people are of course sharing these viral hashtags, other people are flagging them as offensive. And if you get enough offensive flags, it triggers the sandboxing and um, quarantining of that content for manual physical you know, human review, which all takes time. And then there's a physical human review who comes in and says, oh, okay, what are all of these, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, offend, I'm offended flags all about? Oh, okay, uh, this hashtag is offending a whole lot of you know, tens of thousands of people. Um, we need to have a meeting about this. And in fact, we need to get the lawyer team involved. Oh, okay, let's get someone, please call the lawyers. When can you have a meeting? Okay, Wednesday next week. Okay, that's nice. Uh, and now what you've done is you've created a three, four day delay in reinstating all of that content that those people were originally created, those hashtags of, you know, free Palestine and, and resign Modi. And in the meantime, during those three days, they're like, ah, Facebook is they're against our cause. They don't like our cause and they're muting us and they're silencing us. And in reality, that isn't really what's going on. What's going on is internally they're trying to get the lawyers into the meeting and the PR department into the meeting. And that takes 24 hours, 48 hours for that whole process to happen. And then they review it and then they make a decision as a group. And Mark Zuckerberg comes in and says, OK, reinstate the hashtags and all the content that was sandboxed. And send out an apology, which they did in both cases. The problem is that it's a man, a hu that human process of getting all the lawyers and PR departments involved in, in doing that process takes too long because in the in that 48 hour window, people get very uh, angsty. Uh, and now it gets more interesting because the final outcome in those scenarios is, you know, the Facebook says, for example, and Twitter says, reinstate that content, put back. All of the tweets that we sandboxed and silenced around hashtag free Palestine, hashtag resign Modi. And now guess what happens? It's not over yet. Oh, no, there's more. The employees at Facebook and Twitter start doing signature collections because they don't like the decision that Mr. Mark Zuckerberg and Mr. Jack Dorsey made to put back that content. Because, again, Modi wanted that hashtag taken down. India told Facebook. Get that hashtag off of Facebook and Facebook uh, put it back uh, or had had it taken down for some period of time. 
And Facebook continues to tell, I'm sorry, India continues to tell Facebook and Twitter and WhatsApp and all the social apps to take down certain content. By the way, so does Vladimir Putin. By the way, so do a lot of countries. And from time to time, Facebook and Twitter comply. And that's driving the American employees at these American companies crazy because that's un-American, goddammit. We're not going to take down this content. We're not going to silence your citizens. They have freedom of speech just like Americans do. And we're expanding our American values to your part of the world, Mr. Putin, or India, or wherever you happen to be, Nigeria. We're not going to silence your citizens because we're Americans. America, right? We're going to, and we, the American employees at these American companies are saying to their bosses, hey, boss, when when Big Daddy Vladdy tells you to take down those offensive tweets, don't do it. Don't take them down. Go tell Big Daddy Vladdy to go pan, pound some sand and leave those tweets up and leave those let those Russians have their freedom of speech. And that's where it gets super, super, super complicated because most of the Americans, you know, 50% Americans don't have passports. They don't have any cultural context or understanding of what it's like to live in Thailand where you can't make a comment about the king under any situation. And Amer I, uh, as an American myself living in a country, such a country, it's, it, you're, it's really becomes incredibly difficult to have those conversations about the cultural nuances and context. Um, that Americans just, if they've not traveled there or lived there and understand the cultural context, it's just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't compute with them. And they're making decisions about cultures they, they fundamentally not only don't understand, but have zero, zero concept of. Uh, and that's where things get very prickly. And that's where the government start to realize, ah, you don't understand us at all. And you just need to get out. And we need to have our own version of your social media platform thank you very much and it will make us a lot of money anyways thank you for playing it's been fun and uh, we can control our own social media from here and now that's where uh things are at in 2021 and that's by the way you think it ends there no no there's more because there's this thing called the blockchain baby and it's decentralized and it's uncontrollable by anybody and that's why you heard jack dorsey say in a tweet recently when somebody said hey jack why don't you just put that, sh that Twitter shit on the blockchain, baby? Because then when Modi or Putin or anybody tells you to take that shit down, you can laugh in his face and say, go fuck yourself. Because then nobody could ever, ever, ever take it down. Then there's nothing anybody could ever do about it. And But Tyler, did he ever do that to the Congress, though? Did he ever say that to the Congress? Well, you better believe he would love to. And, exactly. Yes. And so in part, his decentralized version of Twitter, which we now have uh, our, our geeky, geeky friends who join us, have given us uh, strong indications that that process is well underway. And it will. And by the way, what that means is one Mr. Donald J. Trump will be back on Twitter, whether anybody <laughs> likes it or not. And there will be any you know, there's no controlling. It's It's a decentralized system. Uh, which is, by the way, it's not just regular old Twitter anymore, is it? It's Twitter Spaces, which is Clubhouse. And imagine what happens when Donald Trump has Clubhouse with an unlimited audience size, because that is one interesting technical difference between Clubhouse and Twitter Spaces. Twitter Spaces has no cap, no 8,000 audience member cap, which we know because there was, uh, well, they've said so. And there was an event uh, recently with a Korean pop group who had 44,000 audience and... 
it'll be very interesting to see what happens. By the way, speaking of this point, in the past few hours, there one of the biggest headlines in all of the tech sphere is Facebook rolls out live audio rooms available to verified public figures and select groups uh, and a podcasting service. And we, we tweeted this out uh, an hour or so ago when it was breaking. I will tweet it out again right now so that you can see this. And you'll just have to, if, if you don't make it to our Twitter account to see what this looks like, I think you have a good idea of what it looks like. If you could imagine a house full of clubs, a bunch of rooms of people talking, um, it's like a club of uh, made up of houses with people on stage and there's an audience and, and moderators and... Um, yeah, you just really got to really stretch your imagination to understand what this looks like. Um, and you can see it if you look at the Twitter account, the most recent tweet. It's essentially Clubhouse, everybody. It's a it's a carbon fucking copy of Clubhouse is what it is. And credit to Clubhouse <laughs> for pioneering the this technology, which is inspired identical carbon copies now from Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and Spotify uh, and notably Facebook and, and Spotify have both launched now in the past 48 hours, essentially. And it's, there are a few interesting differences. In the, in the Spotify example that they launched uh, you know, a couple of days ago, they have these things called gems and everybody's gemming each other up. And now half the rooms in that app are all about gemming each other up. And then in, we couldn't really understand what the whole gemming thing was about. In Clubhouse, we say, I'm giving you flowers, right? audio i'm giving you audio flowers these imaginary flowers well in in the spotify's green room they call it they actually give each other actual little gem icons you you click on people's profiles and it sends little diamonds over to them and now in the face yes Tyler, Dave? a big a big gem for for your for your whisper of the in in twitter example what happened that earlier He's just giving you a gem. It's fine. <laughs> giving you a gem. <laughs> okay. So on Facebook, they're giving each other stars, but there's more. Oh, yeah, there's more. Because these stars are not free to give out. No, no. You buy these stars. You buy 100 stars for about a dollar. And then this, this virtual way of you know giving somebody these stars that actually have a value of about a penny, although the person receiving them can't yet really do anything with them, although it'll be very interesting to see if eventually they do use this as a form of a certain virtual currency. That could be very interesting indeed. And you... Yeah, I wanted to say, but that's exactly what mm -hmm. Twitch has right now. Uh, if, you, if you're a gamer, Twitch has that where you can buy uh, stars or gems or whatever they call them on Twitch, and then you can give them to the person whose so content you're viewing, yeah. whereas though the gems in Spotify right. serve no purpose. I've seen whole rooms where it's just them giving each oh, other yeah. gems. Half the rooms are that again. now. Yeah. But one... Well, here, here, here's another kicker. There's, a app, there's an app called Fanbase developed by a black man who has yeah. the same buying feature. And when you put a heart on someone's thing, you get half the, the penny. And they allow you to withdraw the money off the platform after you reach 50 USDA. So maybe right. Facebook might do that. And by the 50, way, 50 cut. just a quick one on that, Tyler. Um, this is Michelle speaking. I think today it's possible to redraw the star 
um it, i mean we're gonna use stars for live audio but it's been launched in the in videos in the gaming well. section of facebook i, I watched i was watching a video yeah, yesterday so, uh, on facebook of a of a young content creator on facebook who makes a lot of really cool videos and at the end of the video it asked me hey do you want to give this video creator some stars you can buy a hundred stars for a dollar i was like oh that's kind of clever and then this came out today that the stars are also being used in their version of Clubhouse. And I'm like, oh, hang on, hold the phone, Tyrone. This is really quite interesting that this is sort of a virtual currency across the Facebook platform, across, you know, uh, like you said, the, they're also announcing podcasts and essentially you can give creators stars, uh, which is a micro, it's called micro payments. And by the way, if Dr. Francine Hardaway is in the audience, she would jump in right now. Um, and uh, Chris and the other old school geeks on stage knows exactly what this whole heated, um, you know, microtransactions is all about. We've been trying to figure this out for goddamn since the beginning of the internet of how can we give each other a few pennies, um, uh, instead of, you know, in the tip jar feature here in clubhouse, it's assumed you're going to give kind of a minimum of a dollar or two or three or whatever. But what, what if we could just give each other pennies, you know, for when people do something of value? And this stars function is essentially that you buy it for a dollar, but then it gets broken up into 100 pieces and you give each other stars. That's it's essentially the first time I've seen of a elegant solution for this a lo very long fantasy that we've had on the Internet of uh, micro payments. Any other one? Anyone else with some burning thoughts to share on that? Hey, Jeff. Uh, Tyler, this is Jeff. Uh, and you're, oh, by the way, I, 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 I laughed out loud when you <laughs> were in Greenhouse, greenhouse and you're like, Jeff. I got to change my name to Greenhouse, Jeff. Over <laughs> green, green Room, Jeff. Yeah, Green Room. Yeah, Green Room. Green Room. What's, what's did you actually is, do that? Jeff, did you do that? No, no, I didn't. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I, I was convinced to put double A's in front of my name initially. And then I was like, oh, no, it's stuck. So instead of being stuck as Clubhouse Jeff, like I was, I was then double A Jeff. And I'm trying to get that changed. So, um, But what I found interesting, Tyler, was that everybody on there, I talked to some OG mm -hmm. people that were on there from Locker Room mm -hmm. who've been on that app for a long time. And they've been doing the diamond things. And he goes, holy crap. It took me a month yeah. to just get a hundred diamonds and here you guys come in here and you're giving each other diamonds and likes all this crazy stuff. And it, it just, it, and he, I said, what are you going to do with the diamonds? He goes, Oh, I said, do you, if you, if you get 2000 diamonds, does it do something? He goes, no, absolutely nothing for the past year. We've been trying to figure out what they're going to have us do with these mm -hmm. diamonds. We don't know. There's no value to it whatsoever. We're hoping they'll open up a shop or something. So it just goes to prove that they didn't have a purpose for it. So what are they going to change it into? And it's ultimately right. in the control of the creator. So the creator's the one who gets to decide. And I guess we'll see how that goes with Facebook and everything else. And I, I appreciate hey. this uh, room. And hey, yeah. Kai uh, and Tyler. Hey, everybody. Um, Jeff, just a quick tip. If you re-download the app, you could change your name. I did it several times already. Awesome. Oh, JT, you told me about that. I'm going to try that. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, this is Al. I figured with the gym thing, though, just because I see how it's growing and I hope they do this so it doesn't sully the people who have already been on Locker Room for the longest time, that they might end up resetting it or giving another different type of value to the gyms. Because I would assume that since it's a podcast, that you give right. gems to the content that you enjoy and to the people that you enjoy on there. So then other people realize like, oh, this person, Tyler and Kyle have really good content. I see they have all these gems. Let me pop in and see what they're talking about. 
then I'll social join currency. in if I like them. Yeah, social currency. And then I, except for now, it's kind of ambassadized because I know some of the people personally that have gone in there and they've created, you know, a gym sharing, like, you know, a gym to gym or follow to follow sort of thing that's happening there. We've never which, seen that anywhere. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I know they're doing follow to follow and gym for gym on there. So yeah, hopefully they'll do something about it so it doesn't mess up what Spotify is attempting to do. Because yeah, at this point, it serves no purpose. Mm. It's just a bunch of people chasing clout. I'm just wondering, um, I'm just wondering why they didn't make people pay for it initially, because now the value of those gems is being very much diluted, because I guess yeah, it was yeah. initially to contribute or reward great contribution and great content. But now it seems to be, yeah, just a random social currency. So I'm not sure how they'll be able to reverse engineer it. Actually. Forgive my interruption. These are all going to turn into a social coin. These are all going to get turned into a social coin on blockchain. They're all going to follow the Twitter model at some point. Trust me on this. I'm talking more realistically yeah, yeah. in the in the coming yeah, weeks. Yeah, I'm not. Sure. The other thing is, <laughs> we on the same time. I, I was just going to say, making people pay for it would cut out a, a large marginalized community that will not pay for apps. Mm -hmm. They tend to go on free apps, mm -hmm. and so that's yep. one of the disadvantages with paying for things. No, I mean, so me as a user paying to reward the content creator, because mm -hmm. I guess the money has to come from somewhere. But Michelle, yeah, if I understood yeah, I correctly, that, Michelle, the Facebook's yeah. uh, live audio rooms, um, it, it says it's officially rolling out uh, with the launch of live audio rooms in the US today uh, on iOS. So I guess that means it's not on Android just yet, starting with public figures and select Facebook groups. So I guess they're kind of doing a careful onboarding um, to prevent uh, kind of chaotic behaviors and just to get this, the ball rolling. And the debut of an initial set of U.S. podcasting partners, the company tells us live audio rooms will become available to any verified public figure or creator in the U.S. who is in good standing with Facebook and is using either a profile or the new Facebook pages experience on iOS. I have no idea what that is, but it's a link, so I'm clicking it. Uh, the, for Facebook groups, the feature is launching with dozens of groups out of uh, millions, no doubt. Both products will become more broadly available in the weeks and months ahead as more people, podcasts, and groups are brought on board. Meanwhile, so they're kind of, and this is interesting, um, verifying everyone who gets access to this functionality, wherein, then um, that's kind of important because... Um, in country where in countries where Facebook operates, uh, they might be told, "Hey, we you need to know." And this is a conversation that we keep bouncing into. And here you're starting to see concrete examples of this. As and I've predicted, did I not, Cal, that in the not so distant future, countries are going to start telling these platforms, "You need to know who's using your product and service," right? And that's why it. Yeah, and this is also we, it came up as a, a potential um, uh, issue around you know uh, how yeah you know, yeah exactly and how smaller business no well just the idea that smaller businesses and and the big companies Correct. would actually if now this watch was a this. requirement watch the big this. companies yeah, could this, afford to do by it, the way the this is a great 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 example this came up of the other day. a piece of an article that everyone's going to completely miss including all of the tech journalists all of them and we're going to unpack it for you right here right now watch what happens so. Here, read this again, um, and then notice that the important part 
no one's paying attention to. They're looking at the fact that it's a Clubhouse clone and that it's starting in the US and that it's only on iOS and that's what they're going to focus on. But here's the real meat of it that everyone's going to miss is that it's um, starting with very select groups and and pre uh, uh, um, pre approved Facebook is officially rolling out these products, starting with public figures and select Facebook groups, and uh, and the debut of an initial set of U.S. podcasting partners, meaning they know who they are. Right, that's important. The company tells us it will become available to verified public figures. Verified meaning again they know who they are or. Um, people in the U.S. who's in good standing with Facebook and who's using either a profile or the new Facebook pages experience. Facebook's group uh, For Facebook groups, the feature is launching with dozens of groups, meaning they know who they are. Both products will become more broadly available in the weeks and months ahead as more people, podcasting groups are brought on board, meaning they're controlling who's getting access on a white labeled approved basis. They are verifying everyone who's getting access to this. Meanwhile, 100% of Facebook users in the U.S. will be able to listen. Aha! Aha! Got you. 100% of the Facebook users will be able to listen to the live audio rooms. That means you'll be able to be in the room listening like you are right now in the audience here in Clubhouse. But you will not be able to be on stage. And here's why. You're wondering, well, why are they doing that? Well, here's why. Because in the not-so-distant future, governments are going to start telling these social media platforms, you know what, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, you need to be able to track uh, and verify the users of your apps. We need to know who these knuckleheads are that are saying things that are hurting our feelings. Right? You see where this is going? And so we knew this because about a week ago, a company called Stripe, which is fundamentally changing, the it's the largest fintech company in the world, by the way. And Stripe is just launched a whole new feature called authentication, identity authentication, which is an incredibly difficult thing to do. And they, as Stripe, made it possible for every website in the world, including Clubhouse, to do transfer of money. So when you, you click on my profile and then you send me $10, that's being handled by Stripe. Because Stripe made it perfectly easy to do something incredibly difficult, is the, the financial transactions between users on websites. And they did it perfectly, easily, and super, super, super securely. And in compliance with banks and governments around the world, 40 countries and growing quickly. They are also now doing... Uh, identity verification. And why would they do that? Why would Stripe do that? Well, because they know that in the near future, governments are going to start telling apps, you as the app need to start verifying your users on your apps, just as Korea has been doing for quite a few years now. And the governments are going to want to know who all these knuckleheads are and what they're saying and tracking that stuff down. And it's just become very unwieldy. It's causing a ruckus in our goddamn democracy here in the U.S., no less, because the head of the FBI, William Bray, the head of the intelligence agency in the U.K., the head of Facebook's digital security team have all said the same thing, that Russia and China are causing ridiculous amounts of headache and heartache uh, in causing division by spreading all this misinformation, and it's literally tearing the country apart. So all that could be fixed in a heartbeat if these apps 
uh, were required to verify all of their users. And now you as a verified user, of course, would be much less likely to say ridiculous bullshit on these apps because you're no longer anonymous. And you see that in Clubhouse all the time, that people with their actual bios, with their actual social media accounts attached, generally don't spout ridiculous bullshit all the time, much in the way that people with hidden photos, uh, obscure names, no bios and no social accounts tend to, and we can prove this point right now. Let's welcome, Let's see who's got a hand up here. Oh, don't run away so quickly, folks. Hold on. Let's invite somebody. <laughs> um, let's see. Let's, let's pick a few at random here in the audience. But the, you've seen these in Clubhouse all the time. And now the point is, don't get it twisted. The reason Facebook's version of Clubhouse, which launches today, but the people on stage who can speak have to be verified. You see where this is going. They know this is coming. And that's why they're going to make sure everyone who's able to speak on the app is verified. Uh, and they have the resources to manage that process. Small apps do not. And that's, this is going to be a huge advantage to Facebook that they have the resources to verify everybody who's able to be a speaker in their version of Clubhouse, which they call live audio rooms. So Twitter, you could argue, also does have the resources to onboard and verify everybody. They've just, by the way, oh, what a wild coincidence. In the past week and a half, they just turned on their verification blue checkmark system again, which, oh, by the way, had been silent for the past nine years. Oh, what an interesting coincidence that they're launching Twitter Spaces, their version of Clubhouse, and simultaneously to that, as they're onboarding that, they're now going to reinstate the verification system. Oh, and by the way, Stripe is just launched in the past three days. Tyler, I'm lost. Are you? Yeah, I'm not. I'm following it. Let's, let's break it down. Like, hang on, hang on one second. Okay. For us, for us how, how are you lost? Say how are you lost so that we don't go off track. I just, say I just don't get it, lost. man. It's real simple. There's, there's too much information. No, it's not. It's real simple. I'll break it down. Okay. These, these. Uh, I'm just trying to so make sure that we don't. Here's go why. Here's why. Here's Sorry. why. Because this platform of Clubhouse, of social audio talking, is incredibly powerful. It's much more powerful than leaving comments on YouTube videos. It's people gathering in a way where they could cause massive protests if they want to do, and that scares governments shitless. Or insurrections. Correct. Right? Imagine what can happen now. Uh, uh, the, the January 6th was a bit... No, Clubhouse did exist, although they didn't really use Clubhouse in that particular case, although they did use social media apps, right? So social media, it's already known that, gov that governments are already a little nervous about social media apps and the ability to congregate people for insurrections and protests, right? Clubhouse, the format of Clubhouse of course, is it has this incredible, beautiful, uh, utopian, optimistic potential to bring the world together. And I, and I sincerely believe that. I honestly believe it's the will of the universe that this format is so powerful. And the, the, you need nothing else than to look at the fact that Facebook, Spotify, and Twitter, and LinkedIn, have all, and many others have all exactly cloned this thing. That is all the evidence you need of the power of this format and platform. And my point is, the governments also realize how incredibly powerful this is in ways that can be very positive. But they, as you know, people in power, naturally uh, are also kind of rather always conscious, looking over their shoulder about who might be coming for them next. And so, this platform could be used against them in the way, by the way, that the ties are the uh, some of the largest groups here in Clubhouse, and they are using it to organize their protests, right? And this gets very interesting to the point where the governments 
understand that this format of the that Clubhouse pioneered, which is now being duplicated by Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. And isn't it a coincidence that Facebook is only letting people speak on stage who are verified and Twitter uh, has their rooms and it's all kind of a pre-selected basis as well. You have to be approved to create a Twitter space, meaning be a host of a room. You have to be approved for that. And they also just relaunched their verific- uh, blue check mark thing. If you look at my Twitter account, I'm verified on Twitter. It means they know who I am, right? Look, click on my bio here in Clubhouse. Click on my Twitter account. I have, quote unquote, the blue check mark, which means they know who I am. And what I'm telling you is just like Facebook is only allowing verified Facebook users to be speakers in their version of Clubhouse. And Twitter is now launching their version of Clubhouse. And they just also relaunched for simultaneously after eight years of being hibernated. They're bringing back their verification process. Why? Because the governments are going to tell these social media apps, you need to be able to prove who the speakers are in these apps. Because we do not want anonymous people in these apps coordinating insurrections. Tyler, I wonder whether Spotify is using a different strategy. So I spent maybe 30 minutes on Green Room over the weekend and I was in a room where these old OG uh, green room users um, were really upset because there were a couple of NFT folks who came over from Clubhouse who were in the room and they were getting bashed because they they were verified. And, and so these people who had been loyal to the green room app felt betrayed and all of the things that were said, you know, earlier regarding the the gems. But more importantly, I think the title of the room was how did these clubhouse, you know, um, non, you know, non-famous people kind of inconsequential in, in people, um, you know, according to this app or whatever, how did they get verified? So I wonder whether uh, Spotify might be um, mm. experimenting, I guess, you know, within the same domain of what you are saying, but then also instead of just going with famous people, you know, finding people that could have a voice who are unknown and to test what it's like to, to verify their accounts. Um, so in a simultaneous development, but, just a okay. quick question there. Just a quick question there, Tyler. I'm sorry to keep interrupting, but I, I, so I understand yeah. exactly what you're saying there, right? Which is, mm-hmm. so you've got to be verified to be on these apps so that, you know, these things that have been going on with, you know, protests like, the, and, and, you know, for example, on Clubhouse, when there was the elections happening, there was these rooms being set up, journalists weren't being let in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Situations like this don't occur. People, it doesn't take too long to get verified. Um, it's not as easy as you would think, and that's why Twitter right? has not been able to do it. But they they now realize they need to, and by the way, that's Sorry. why Stripe, and this is the other amazing, amazing coincidence. What an amazing coincidence that Stripe just announced uh, Identity um, Authenticator, which every app will be able to install in 30 seconds, just one line of code, just like they make it... 30 seconds easy to install with one line of code, the ability for all of your users to exchange payments and became one of the biggest companies in the world by doing that because that's a technically an incredibly difficult thing to do. And so is identity verification. Huh? How are they authenticating? 
that that it's incredibly impressive. We're not sure yet how they are doing it. They say they're using AI and machine learning and everything else, and it probably has something to do with the fact that because if it's facial recognition, it it's just been I don't think by it the is. EU. Okay, because mm-hmm. there's a headline I just released around facial yeah. recognition. I don't think Stripe is using facial recognition as part of it. But the the interesting thing is that Stripe has. Um, because they power the top 50,000, no, 500,000 websites of the internet, if you've ever used your credit card on the internet, they already have your identity tied to your credit card. So I bet it has something to do with that. Apple, by the way, also has five, what they claim is 500 million uh, identities with credit cards. So they could also do something similar but I don't think they would because they like to keep everything to themselves. But Stripe is all about empowering websites, big and small, who don't have the resources that Facebook and Twitter do. And I'll, do you think it ends there? Oh, no, there's more. Because you better believe that Facebook, who has the resources to do the identity verification for their live audios, you know, clubhouse-like rooms, and Twitter does too if they really set their mind to doing it, and that's why they've turned on their verification system again for the first time in nine years. That before I when Maybe I finish I my point, you can't show so uh... that they because they have the technical means to do this on their own, they might even have their Washington representatives jump in here, Justin. You know where I'm going to even pass legislation that requires all of their smaller competitors who don't have the means and technical know how to pull off this incredibly difficult thing. Wouldn't that be an interesting maneuver if if you were a big company who had the resources to do all of the identity the identity verification of everybody on your website? Facebook and Twitter and Google and Apple have the ability, and Amazon all have the know how to do that. Every everybody smaller than them does not, and well, so wouldn't you, as uh, Facebook's um, team, if you wanted to entrench and build a moat around your kingdom, go tell? Um, you know, the, the lawmakers on Capitol Hill, hey, guys, why don't we all get together and stop all of this, you know, misinformation campaigns from rogue states and force the, inter- you know, the Western Internet to have identity verifications? Why don't we do this? And here's, here's a few million dollars to help uh, grease the wheels. And then next thing, next thing you know, every website on the, the, the Internet now, like your little blog for us, everybody who comments on your blog, you now have to figure out how to identi- identify everybody and you cannot. And that means they've entrenched their power and everyone yeah, so- else uh, potentially loses. And the, until Stripe comes along and says, hey, guess what, everybody, we just fixed it for everybody. <laughs> just plug in our one line of code into your app and you're good to go. We're going to identify everybody on your behalf. Bada boom, bada bing, Stripe becomes the next big giant uh, tech company. Go ahead, Luana. Yeah, yeah so, so Tyler, okay. Tyler, I just Can gave I? you $5 through, through my UK card on the, uh, uh, on the uh, Clubhouse Give Money, and I'm amazed. And, and I like to do this sometimes. I, I like imagine myself 10 years ago, five years ago. You know, today it's like, yeah, putting a card on the internet is not a big deal. But the technology that goes into them, be able to verify that my card is good in the UK to give you money. I don't know where you're registered and how you get paid out. That is an amazing infrastructure that they've built, right? It's, it's magic and it just happens behind the scenes. But, you know, as you grow and get more contributions, and as more people on Clubhouse give you more tips, 
You know, you Stripe is going to build up a database of all these people uh, and all their cards, right? And so it is just magic. It's just magic how it works. But you know the plumbing underneath that is some serious chops because you couldn't do this five years ago. Like, to be able to for me just pull, pull up my iPad, put, put my card in, you know, but you know the, all the lines easy, yep. and then boom, it happened. It's like magic now, right? It, it, it sounds simple, but it isn't. Uh, and so I think they're onto something here for sure with identity because now they know, oh, hey, this one is new card from the UK. He has a card in Tanzania. Mm-hmm. He has a card in Kenya. He has a card in the US, yes. you know? And so they can build a profile yeah. on me and they go, we know this is important. Yeah. It's account. not easy to fake the, the fact the that you have a credit card in your own name. I mean, that that is not something that most hackers, when they're creating bot armies, are going to go through the trouble of actual create, creating actual credit cards. Uh, go ahead, Cheryl. Yeah. Tyler. Okay, is it is it correct to assume that everyone has an ID of some no. form, be it no, no, a national no. ID or no, no, no. I, I live next door to Burma, where there's millions of people not, okay, that don't anyhow, have any state ID anyhow. of any kind. Go ahead. Okay, never mind. Uh, uh, so just go back to your strike uh, mm-hmm. ID authentication thing. Uh, recently, one of my portfolio company just. Uh, incorporated a company over Stripe at us remotely. So what happened is there's this Correct. online notary service that Stripe is engaging so that uh, there will be somebody online uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a human being on the other side that will actually keep in touch with the person who is registering and actually that person have to show an, an ID of some kind mm-hmm. to, uh, to authenticate mm-hmm. the identity. Mm-hmm. So that's how it works at the yep. moment. Yeah. Yes, go ahead, Carl. And then we'll go to Justin. Tyler. Yeah. Um, Cheers, yeah, I'll make it quick. Um, if you have a look at the tweet that I just pinged you in and TNATW in, um, the, the Stripe API docs for identity uh, oh, puts quite snap. the focus on image recognition. and Breaking OCR news, y'all. Breaking Well done, Carl. The primary way that you do it is... I'm retweeting it right now. Oh, Carl you. Dunn did it, everybody. This is how the future of news works. So, Jeremiah, you're going to love this if, you're, if you jump up on stage, by the way. Uh, and Jeremiah in the audience, Jeremiah Ouyang, one of the Silicon Valley OGs uh, and one of the Clubhouse OGs. And I used to hang out in his room when I first got here because he was doing the best rooms. And it, the creation of Tech News Around the World actually happened in his room, um, which uh, uh, hopefully he'll jump up on stage and we'll just reshare that story. But Carl just found out we were debating about this whole identity thing because Facebook and Twitter are both doing their versions of Clubhouse. And Facebook is essentially making sure everyone who's a speaker on stage is verified. People in the audience, anyone can listen. Well, why why make the distinction? Right? They've, they've obviously, uh, why are they only allowing particular people to be speakers at the moment? Just a handful, literally. Pre-approved, pre-vetted, pre-verified people are able to speak in the Facebook's version. It's because they need to know who they are. And people in the audience, doesn't really matter because you're not speaking because you're not saying something the government will find offensive, essentially. So similar with Twitter, they're now reinstating their whole verification process as simultaneous to launching their version of Clubhouse. And you better believe they're going to start verifying people who are going to be speakers on your Twitter stages. Because, by the way, to be to create a Twitter space room and I and I believe Jeremiah, but I was one of the first thousand people selected to have a Twitter space room oh and by the way i'm already verified on twitter they already have ver- put me through their verification process and i don't think that's a coincidence so 
uh, this social audio platform is so powerful that the governments are going to want to know who's speaking at all times. And by the way, it's, it might not be a bad idea just for the, the use case. We could debate that uh, for just users in the room. Um, but the, the fact that Stripe, simultaneous to this in the past week, has also launched a identification process that they can allow every website on the Internet to tap into because Facebook and Google have the resources to verify all of their users. It's difficult. It's, that is technically incredibly difficult to do and very um, technically challenging. And so challenging that most websites are not going to be able to swim anymore if that becomes a prerequisite. If that, if that becomes law, you're going to see a lot of websites uh, have to shut down because they're not going to be able to comply with that. However, to the rescue, here comes Stripe with their Stripe identity authenticator that you can plug in in 30 seconds and they'll handle it all for you automatically. And then what Carl did was Carl's wondering, being the smart developer cookie that he is, hmm, I wonder how they're identifying people, which uh, I believe Froz correctly asked the question. And Froz said, are they using uh, facial identity? Right. Because that would be very interesting. And, and so Carl dug in and found out that Stripe identity helps you confirm the identity of global users to prevent fraud, streamline risk operations, and increase trust and safety by capturing IDs with a con conversation-optimized verification flow. A conversation-optimized? That's interesting. Ver conversion, conversion option. Oh, sorry. Oh. My God, I'm half asleep here. <laughs> Two very different things. Capture IDs with a conversion-optimized verification flow. Okay, that's great. Verify authenticity of global ID documents. Okay. Match photo IDs with selfies. Oh, that's interesting. And validate social security numbers. I told you, just like South Korea. Access collected images. Oh, that's interesting. And and extracted data from ID documents. Ooh, this is really interesting. And by the way, just for the record, I told you so. I told you so. I told you so. How long, Cal? A week ago, did I not say it would be interesting to see if these, if America and these other governments start forcing identification in the near future? Or Justin or anyone else remember me saying this so, a week or two ago? Go yeah, ahead, Justin. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there are a couple things that we are conflating yeah, here. That's the whole point. Well, yeah, really that, that's what we do, Justin. Discussion to have. So I'm gonna. <laughs> I know, I know, but I'm gonna zoom back out and try and just qu really quickly parse a little bit. So uh, essentially, Tyler, you're saying that all of these platforms are the influential platforms, Stripe, Facebook, Twitter spaces, especially we're talking about social audio. So these social audio platforms that are the bigger live ones audio are live taking steps. Sorry, live audio, live social audio um, are taking steps to almost institute a requirement where people have to be verified, which is fascinating. And then where I kind of want to parse it out is the government angle versus the private sector angle. I think that from the government angle, the United States is years and years and years away from ever passing a policy that would mandate this. And I think that just from the ideological breakdown of what is going on in the House and Senate with Section 230, I don't need to get into it, but you're going to have 
a split between Republicans and Democrats, and it will be around free speech. I understand that the First Amendment at this point really doesn't have anything to do with it. But I would envision if I'm putting on my political analysis hat that that is probably going to be very difficult to get enough consensus in the U.S. government to pass a mandate where everybody is verified of different concerns. Hold on, baby. Watch this. Be- and, I, and you're you're right. You're, you're at, your statement is actually right. But watch what happens, because are they not starting to pressure and debate about the Section 230 um, and safe harbor clauses for these social media apps? It's already been debated in some circles. Should we not remove these protections as India just did? Right. In the past 48 hours. Yes. Now, if they do that. The apps become responsible for everything those people say. So would the apps not then be in a position to want to verify if if every app, it's not just Facebook and Google, if that decision gets passed, then every website on the Internet becomes responsible for everything everybody says. And then the ones that are able to verify those people could then hold them responsible in some sense. And the ones who don't have the technical means to verify their users are going to be totally screwed because you're going to have trolls and anonymous people. A hundred. And then you're going to have people suing them out of business. I agree 110% with what you're saying. And yes, this could be like looking five, 10 years uh, in the future for four, 10 years in the future. But the reason why I wanted to parse this out is because I don't, so so yes, I agree. I just don't think it's in the imminent future. I don't even know if we need to pull the government into this because I the way that I see this, and I could be wrong here, Tyler, right? I'm just giving you yeah. uh, my uh, uneducated mm-hmm. opinion on social media moderation. But what I really see is the big thing uh, is t- two things you said. First off, the ability to verify everybody and transfer that to websites, like just regular Facebook would be huge. But also... Um, You know how when you read a news article about somebody doing something really awful, like there was a football player, Ray Rice, and he hit his girlfriend, and the news articles came out, and the NFL didn't do anything. I think they suspended him one game. But when the video of that came out, because it's a completely different medium, you had... You, you see this football player knock this woman unconscious, and the NFL immediately changed their tune. U.S. media lost their shit, and the guy was basically banned from football for life. Just because the same thing that had been reported on, that reporters had written articles off of seeing the video, uh, had, had explained to us, but because the medium of dissemination had changed, the public outrage and the attention to the issue was ratcheted up. So that is my way of saying, I agree, Tyler. It sounds like these platforms are moving towards a way to verify everybody on stage. But I would assume that it's in their best interest from just the private sector without the government being involved, because all you need to have happen is a few different viral clips of horrible shit being said on these social apps to go into the mainstream. And then you'll just get a never ending stream of essentially mainstream articles. You'll get clips being played Mm -hmm. on CNN TV over and over and over again of these racist, sexist, whatever ist and ism you want. And it will begin to paint not only these platforms, but these companies as harbingers of hate. So the way that I view this is, yes, you're right on the government. 
it could happen. I think we're a little bit of ways away. But the other thing that you brought up is social media is much more powerful than Facebook for good or for bad. And I imagine that these private companies who already, as you mentioned, get a lot of um, shit and condemnation from governments around the world. Uh, our, Our 17 U.S. intelligence agencies have said that Russia has used Facebook and Twitter for disinformation by spreading hatred and prejudice on the app. I assume what I hear you saying is this is a way for these companies to be able to verify and ban users much easier. And to basically, because the moderation is going to be different, where social social audio is going to be more difficult, I would assume, to moderate because it's not a Facebook post or a Twitter post that is up for all eternity for everybody to see. And then the company can go through it and ban that user immediately. Hey, Justin, I can, can I, I jump on what you're saying? One second, to, Jennifer. To, to, to I'm going to gonna turn it to Jennifer. Thank you for that, Justin. Michelle uh, needs to jump in, and then we'll go to... That's oh, fine, Cheryl. You, hold on. Here's, the, I'm, here's the order, everybody. It's going to go Michelle, and then Jennifer, and then Cheryl. Go yes. ahead. It's about... And then can I go <laughs> next? Yeah, sorry. I just, um, um, I mean, and then we can go back in the heated uh, political discussion, but I just wanted to bring us back on the user experience side of things. And um, I mean, this is not like an official Facebook uh, strategy I'm sharing here, but it's just my opinion as a user. I mean, I think it's quite complex to launch such product on 2.8 billion users without having any sort of control as to who is able to run a room. So I'm just looking at it more from a user experience perspective. Um, because the quality of the conversations will probably be more, yeah, would probably add value uh, to start with if uh, billions what, of people. Let are me unpack. Let me unpack that for everybody. What Michelle's saying is, Facebook is correctly worried that if this thing launches internationally, and any 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 jackass on the planet can, you've got ISIS now making Facebook live audio rooms shit's going to go fucking crazy. And they know that. And they had that meeting and their lawyers are like, we cannot uh, launch this powerful, powerful social audio platform out there because then Hezbollah and ISIS and everybody else is going to be making these rooms. And then we are fucked. All the governments will be shutting us down with a quickness. So we need to have verified users as the speakers of these rooms so that we don't get ourselves shut down in these countries. Oh, and by the way, If we do go through the process of verifying the users on stage, guess what we get from them? Their juicy, juicy data that we've always wanted anyways to verify them. Oh, and by the way, all of the smaller future Facebook killers in the world are not going to be able to comply with this new process. So why don't we encourage governments to enforce so any of these apps to require this, which would then further entrench us as the unremovable kings of the mountains Uh, because we have the means to do this self-policing process, which small websites do not have. And then it was next was, uh, remind me, it was another woman on stage. Jennifer, 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 Jennifer. Let me me jump in. Let me jump in here. (laughs) Yeah. So what you're talking about here and Justin, to put it to, to, to synthesize this a little bit better. So Tyler, it's not strict liability for what everybody does on these apps. It's going to be, as you're saying, it's going to be showing steps and controls, right? What practices and policies that they put in place that they should have put in place. And so verification is going to end up being an easy, it's, it is going to be a top level step um, because it's, it's something that's going to con- 
be a way of moderating who's talking and controlling who's talking and trying to temper that it's, it's one of the ways they're going to do it. Is it going to be good and bad because it's people who are um, journalists who need to remain anonymous for various reasons will now have to be verified. So it's, it's, you know, it's got its different sides to it, but that it's steps. It's not strict liability for everybody's saying. And then as you say, those steps, Facebook and the big players have the resources and funds to do that. The little players don't. And it's in addition to verification, it's going to be, your AI that picks up, you know, certain language or acts. Um, it's going to be moderation, et cetera. It's just going to be what are the industry standards that you should be putting in place to so that you are sure. not liable for these things. Thank you, Jennifer. Um, okay, um, Kiran, our regular contributor, has been blocked by someone on stage. So uh, please understand that this tech news around the world, we will debate and we will have people we control them view as uh, from you. So if you cannot take it, please don't join the stage, but please don't block. So whoever who intentionally or unintentionally block Kiran, please unblock Public him Public service now. announcement. Thank you. Yeah, L, go ahead. Yes. Tyler. Hi, it's Elena. Um, I haven't been on. Oh, good to see you back. Yeah. It's been a while. Welcome. Well, yeah, Elena, I, you, I we remember you very me, well. Yeah, yeah, you, you were great. You. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's it's the dream team up there. Cal and Tyler, we got it all. Um, I have a question about. Um, I'd I'd love to hear both of your opinions on it. Um, since you've said this, I, I joined the room when I heard you talking about <laughs> the quashing of any insurrectionists, and um, as an American Scottish woman, this terrifies me. Um, freedom at any cost from where I stand. Um, it's. Do you think that um, DeFi in any way, like especially in light of what you're saying about Stripe, will play a part in fighting this sort of, this sort of like, because uh, it's almost like global totalian, totalitarianism because it's it's no longer limited to, to, to like a national totalitarian state because it's, it's, it's all over the world. So do you think that like uh, DeFi could fight this. Um, and I know that Michelle, um, yes. what was her name who spoke That's before right. um, Michelle, I think she works for Facebook. She said that she said that, well, then, well, yep. you know, that might be to benefit the user. Um, and you, Tyler kind of agreed maybe. And you said that, well, if ISIS was like uh, having, <laughs> having clubhouse rooms, like where would that um, leave Facebook? But for me, I'm coming from the other side of things. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't support ISIS or, or want them on groups. Um, but I, I do think that I, I, I do wonder if you think that in any way that DeFi I think, I think, is I think the opposite side yeah, of the Yeah, I think what you're referring to is sort uh, of decentral decentralization more so than DeFi. Right. De yeah. Right. Well, no, I'm specifically speaking into DeFi because I, at, at some point when it boils down to it, money can talk. So even if someone is unverified on a like a governmental level, you know, but if they're if if they're um, qualified um, as as a financial, uh, you know, as a, a solid financial person, well, and more, uh, maybe I, that well, the will, thing that we I'm can say is that, uh, that concurrent to all of this is the rumblings, the early indications that Jack Dorsey is working on a decentralized version of Twitter, <clears throat> which then nobody can control or, or force it can shut down or force him to do ver uh, verifications and, and all of that. And if he releases that, 
uh, Kraken uh, <laughs> on the world. That will be truly interesting indeed. Um, although I hope he thinks very carefully about the dystopian use cases of a fully decentralized Twitter, especially if it has Twitter spaces, uh, because then you've got bad actors who will be able to utilize it uh, in all of its glory. And no one will be able to put that genie back in the bottle uh, once it's out. Uh, but that's it. Yeah. Tyler, can I, can I circle back to something I've been like really, really thinking about and wanting to chime in? Like about the verification, like the deplatforming aspect of the discussion. You know how like Trump got deplatformed, even if he was a verified user. Um, I'm thinking about the political use cases for this. And when it's live, live audio, basically we're giving politicians their own radio shows, all of them. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm sure for some politicians who do good, it's definitely a good thing. But for the ones who are extremely like populist or polarizing, and actually call people to commit um, violence. Um, okay, Harry. Cause I got you, baby. I hear you, Harry. And now do you think it's a coincidence that Facebook's oversight board, yeah. I don't know, a week ago, just reinstated the two-year ban on Trump? You better believe they knew that this uh, their version of Clubhouse Rooms were coming out, and they had to factor in the yep. fact that if we let Trump back in, not only will he have his normal tweets and Facebooks, he's going to have a Twitter space room of an unlimited audience size and a, fa a Facebook live audio room of a potential millions and millions of people at his disposal at any time. He's got his own. Right. He doesn't need the. He doesn't. Can he I doesn't just quick? To, um, yeah. I, I think I think having access to live audio is not a shield from like from not being compliant. So I think the same compliance rules and moderation will apply yeah. to, yeah, of course. to live audio yeah, as well. But check this out. It's, it's not a coincidence that Clubhouse is not allowed in China. It was open for four days and then they shut it down. And it, there are, in the same way that Facebook is now renowned for being abused by you know the Russians and the China, uh, uh, the Russian government, the Chinese government doing massive misinformation campaigns for years, for years and years and years. And the problem is, is are they doing the same in social audio? And I don't know about you, but Cal and I and other friends uh, on stage and I have been in rooms. Justin and I have been in rooms where there clearly were uh, state actors uh, and. The question is, uh, and by the way, what an amazing coincidence that they had uh, no bios and no, um, you know, social media accounts linked. But uh, due to some background sleuthing, uh, you can connect the dots and, and confirm. But they would verbally, what's interesting is they would make verbal, um, cred credible um, things that they've done, right? And then uh, in, in, almost every one of them, they would say they're professors or they're this or they're this. And then... Anyway, but the point is, is that you broke though. Yeah, we we the when you question them or ask them. Right. The the verification the the point it all comes back to the point that this uh, incredible um, um, creation uh, that is Clubhouse is so tremendously powerful that governments uh, and and maybe it, maybe it's not a bad idea that people be verified who have this. And of course we can argue both sides of that, but certainly from the government's perspective, they're going to want 
to know who's saying stuff on these stages um, in the same way that, uh, you know, Russia in, is telling Twitter, you need to, we, they want to know who everybody is on Twitter, by the way, as well. That would be very helpful. Um, there, it's just, it's uh, what an interesting situation that we find ourselves in. And by the way, Carl just found so on this precise issue uh, an additional layer of breaking news. Carl, you want to give it to us? Yeah, sure. I tweeted it out, anybody who wants to have a look at yes. it. Um, if you dig even further into their API, specifically the selfie check stuff, because I was interested in how they were implementing this really simple few lines of code, and, and, and basically you can have it so your website... Um, if they're using a phone, pings up and says you need to take a selfie and then submit it. And then that goes through to Stripe and then they check it. But all the way down in this is this sort of um, very sort of boring doc are the list of failure codes that you can get. And amongst those failure codes is a selfie manipulated code. So the description you get back with that is the captured face image was manipulated. And this ties in with the discussions we've been having on many occasions about uh, deep fakes. And it looks like that Stripe is getting ahead of this problem, which is only going to help their case when they're trying to get sort of uh, traction and maybe sort of governmental support, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So super interesting. It is super interesting. And thank you, Carl. And this highlights the point of why tech news around the world and any room like us, this forum. Carl is on fire. This, that is John Francois knows because he's a bona fide geek himself. All the bona fide geeks on stage are high-fiving and hugging Carl at the moment because what he just found is truly fantastic and no tech journalist is going to figure that this will be is incredibly relevant to what's happening in a way that no tech journalist is going to be able to even understand let alone cover it if they could understand it and to unpack it for uh, the the slow kids in class like our friends dave the if you look yeah. at our twitter account we just tweeted out what carl just found from again just to because uh, the room has doubled since we started the conversation Stripe has announced in the past few days their new veri uh, identity verification system, which will allow w any website creator to very simply, with one line of code, add uh, identity verification to their app so they know all of the users and know that all of those users are all verified and they are who they say they are. Why is that important? Glad you asked. Because Clubhouse and apps like it, very notably, Facebook in the past few hours just announced their version of Clubhouse. And they, in the, the, the subtext of their big PR announcement that they have their own Clubhouse now called Live Audio Spaces, they say it's on iOS only, it's America only, it's going to be expanding out relatively slowly. And that, oh, by the way, yeah, it's just going to be a handful of speakers that are verified to start with, very specific people that they've green-lighted and verified that they know who they are. Uh, anyone can be in the audience of these rooms, but to start with, the people on stage are all going to be verified, and slowly over time, we're going to roll it out to other verified people on stage. And the language, if you look at it very closely, you understand they're clearly implying that the people who are going to be able to speak on stages of Facebook's version of Clubhouse will all be verified. Okay, hold that thought, because simultaneously, Twitter is also launching their version of Clubhouse. And coincidentally, I was one of the very first people that could make a Twitter space room. And by the way, I'm verified by Twitter. I have the blue check mark. I've been verified by Twitter. They know for a fact who I am. By the way, a lot of the people who are able to make Twitter space rooms are also verified. This is not a coincidence. And more importantly, Twitter used to have a verification process 10 years ago when I got verified that has been 
hibernating for a decade. They've now just brought it back, coincidentally, at the same time that they're bringing out their version of Clubhouse. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so when you look at what Facebook is doing because Facebook understands we need to know who's speaking in our Clubhouse rooms because if we launch this out globally, we have what 2.5 billion users. That might include Hezbollah and ISIS and all, bad actors all over the world who will use it for their purposes. And they will plan insurrections and government overthrows and coups and all this crazy stuff. And if they do, those governments will shut us down in those countries to prevent that from happening. How do we know that? Because Nigeria just shut down Twitter for similar reasons. So, and that was without the Twitter spaces. That was just tweets that Nigeria didn't like, essentially. So, um, these Facebook is correct. They need to have verified users on stage. Twitter's correct. They need to bring back their verification system and make sure they verify everybody on stage in Twitter spaces. And then magically, coincidentally, Stripe, who made it incredibly simple for every website on the internet to enable payments between users with one line of code, a truly remarkable achievement, which is why they're one of the biggest, fastest growing companies in the history of the internet, now also just launched something truly remarkable, which is the ability to identify and verify every person on every website. Because it's possible that in the very near future, the governments are going to require apps to know who their users are, as South Korea has been doing for quite a long time, like over a decade. You need to sign on with your verified state ID to have an account on a website. Now, we argue this is likely to come to other countries. Why? Because now that Facebook is doing it themselves and now that Twitter's doing it themselves, they would enjoy staying at the top of the mountain where they themselves are able to do something that's very technically uh, and resource intensive that their future competitors aren't really have the resources to do themselves. And so they would go use their large um, political fundraisings to encourage politicians, hey, you know what you should do? You should require uh, that every website know who their users are. And that would remove all of these Russian bots that are causing all of this friction in political uh, division in the U.S., which nearly overthrew an election and blah, blah, blah. And all of this nonsense would come to an end. So what do you say? Well, Stripe now um, with their identity verification would make this incredibly simple for every website and future Facebook and Twitter com competitor to also enjoy this because Stripe is essentially going to do the verification on your behalf if you just simply insert this one line of code. Now, that one line of code that you install, wh what's behind that? And that's where our friend Carl jumps in. Because Carl's a developer and Carl understands AP APIs and how they work and API calls. And so he went into Stripe's uh, documentation of the APIs for the authentication. And he found some very interesting things indeed about how precisely they are going to do this uh, identification process. And just to recap, on the first layer of what he found is that they're going to... Um, sorry, Carl, go back on, on the first one. Where is it? It's right here. Sorry. Uh, 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 uh. We lost it. Mm, I need the first yeah. one and then the second one. The first one was the they provide identity document. Uh, no, this is the the selfie error. So they so so, so they've got several several ways that they can use identity provide right. identification for a person verification. One of them is you can submit documents 
that they then use OCR to scan the digital image for the text and whatnot and then compare it to governmental databases. But then the main one is the selfie one, which is the one that people are going to use the most because it's super easy, and that then uses the, the facial recognition. Um, and when you're done uh, recapping, I've Go. gone deeper and I've got a third level to this. Go ahead, Carl. Um, they have, I'm going through the privacy policies because I was curious how this matches up with GDPR in Europe and whatnot. And an interesting thing that I've come across is, uh, let me just find the relevant bit. Uh, here we go. Uh, Stripe will capture the images of you and your ID document to confirm your identity. Stripe will use the captured images to check that the ID document is valid and the image is correct to confirm that the ID document presented belongs to you. Both Stripe and the businesses who requested your verification will have access to the verification status, any captured images, and extract data from images such as name, date of birth, and ID number. The business, however, will not see the biometric identifiers used to confirm that your selfie matches the ID document. Um, so what surprised me with this is that Okay, so they're not sending across their proprietary uh, mapping sort of markers that they use to identify your face, but they are sending all the meta information about you and the images that you uh, provided to the Stripe API back to the businesses. So every time you do this, not only do you have to worry about your identity, uh, the persistence of it with Stripe, but it also goes to any business that's using this, and they then can do whatever they want with your images. And Carl, all the meta our friend Renjit in the audio in the audience just took this up two whole fucking notches. You gotta see this, Renjit, jump on stage, buddy. We gotta share this with everybody. This is truly fantastic. Where are you at? Raise your hand. Yeah. Tyler, one, oh, Tyler, just a quick one. Doesn't that breach? No, no. The what, whole, let's uh, finish this thought before thing? we go into sovereign clouds for a second. Renjit, where are you, man? Jump on stage. So Renjit, where is he? Yeah, I got to tweet this out. This retweet? is crazy. So Renjit uh, is also a developer, and he says, Clubhouse yesterday in the town hall meeting said that they won't allow emails and other logins anymore. They just partnered with Stripe Identify, Verify Identities with Confidence. And they, Clubhouse's logo is one of the four wow. logos on Stripe's new identity system. Yeah, just go to the link which I tweeted. Wow. I send you. It's uh, crap. They have so Clubhouse Stripe Identity over. just launched. And so far, there's precisely four companies that have partnered with Stripe Identity. Discord, Peerspace, Shippo. And Clubhouse. Oh, well, what are the odds of that? And this is a, this, is this is exactly what you've been saying since since I jumped on. I can't believe that it's live <laughs> happening. That's crazy. You were saying that things like Clubhouse. Can we just <laughs> change wow. Tyler's name to the Oracle? And He's the Oracle. Tyler, do, do you remember yesterday's uh, town hall meeting and somebody asked about? Will you allow email or Facebook kind of... Oh, Renjit, I love you, man. Know? I love that you remember that. Prophet Tyler. Here it is, folks. Oh. Tyler. Do you think there's a chance of that course. retroactively Absolutely they're going, they're going to, to further identification? They so it says that, that Clubhouse won't earn anything from the transaction... Though it didn't say if that will be the case when the feature becomes more widely available. 
Tyler, what? Tyler, just <laughs> what's the island's name where you live? Uh, well, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see yeah, um, when that happens. Tyler, when you figure out how to... Yes, Gabby is right on point, folks. Uh, Stripe already, uh, as a pre-IPO company, is the most sought-after shares of any company on the planet because they're pre-IPO. They are becoming the fundamental plumbing and piping of financial transactions on the internet. And now they're about to become the the piping of all of the identities of the internet as well. Uh, which is going to uh, cause a, 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 a very substantial increase in their pre-IPO valuation. And hence, Gabby's saying, how do we get some of these pre-IPO shares right now? Because, by the way, nobody outside of this room knows what we just discovered, by the way. Go ahead, Go ahead. Can, Go ahead. can I just suggest that maybe, just, just maybe, you know, this... Um, particular instance is not terribly new in, in this respect, right? So in the UK, police can uh, ask, ask you to put your mask on, but if you asked, but, if, but they will never ask you for your ID document. So, you know, you could walk freely in the streets of London and not a single police, policeman will, will stop you and ask you for your, for your documents or whatever. And, you know, Brits, for instance, protect their privacy and civil liberties and, you know, this goes back, you know, to the Magna Carta. Um, what they see and, and, you know, from a, from, is, is a utilitarian mechanism to enable payment, payment and transactions, not identity. Tyler, come back. And, <laughs> no, wait a minute, man. No. I, 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 I back, most countries. This is like the gong show. Identity, though. Brutal. Brutal. Ring fence the information within the book. Sylvan, it's not personal. It's just. (laughs) It's not personal. I think it's very personal. I I miss Michael. (laughs) Yes. I'm interested in what Chris was saying. Um, If we can hear from Chris, that would be great. I think, I, I mean, I think Stripe combined with the audio, right? Um, it, it's about provenance. You want to know who's saying what they're saying and that they're actually who they say they are, right? And one of the unique things about this room is I know everybody's voice now. I can tell who's talking without looking at the screen. And if I hear a new voice, I'm like, oh, I better check out who that is. Imagine what the AI is able to do. Well, by the way, once they verify part of who you are, the, I'm sorry about the crime, baby. Want, here, let, let's, let, yeah, I'll, I'll jump down the that rabbit hole with you. Left. Watch this. So sorry. Facebook live audio rooms. Plug your ears, Michelle. You're not going to like this. Facebook um, takes your conversations that you're talking about with your friends, right? Uh, they look at all of your data between that you put on Facebook, and they use that data to power their ad network, right? They're, they're collecting data. They are a data company, just like Google, who uses your Gmail data and all of the conversations you have with everyone on Gmail and everything you're saying in your Gmails to get a profile about you to send you more personalized ads, right? So does Facebook. Facebook looks at your messages you send to all of your friends on Facebook Messenger and who you're sending it to and what you're saying in those messages. And that's why from time to time you think to yourself, holy shit, why did I just get an ad? I didn't tell anybody I had this problem. It's because they have made a profile about you in conversations that you were having 
through your Facebook Messenger, through your Gmail, through all of these things. And do you think they're not going to be listening to what you're saying in their live audio rooms? And using Wait, Tyler, fa- Facebook and Inst- they listen to you even when the app is uh, just on your right. phone, not open. But, so they are but, listening all the time. So, of course, wait, I mean listening. Wait, wait till they start listening to all the conversations that you're no, having so for endless hours in that's... the live audio room. Imagine Clubhouse is listening to everything you're saying, making a profile about you, that you're, you know, you had this weird incidence when you were 10 years old. All the personal bullshit you've revealed and bored people with here in Clubhouse for the past, you know, six months. Imagine how much uh, of a profile they're able to build about you in that context. I, I don't think, by the way, that Clubhouse, if they're not at that stage of development yet where they're building an ad network based on your data. I, Facebook absolutely is. They already have. <laughs> by the way, you can rest assured of that. So... Um, Tyler, can I highlight a point that I've made before just really, really quickly on this? Carl and then Kai, go ahead. I'll be really quick. Every single one of these apps operates the same way that when you come up to the stage, your microphone is activated. And then when you unmic, it's then sent to the server at the moment. But the point is that the application that's on your phone that can collect whatever it wants and transcribe whatever it wants real time and send whatever meditator it wants, that is activated and has access to your microphone the moment you go to the stage. It doesn't matter if you've unmiked and you're talking. The app has access to the microphone from the moment you go to the stage. So an important thing to remember when we're talking about these apps potentially collecting data. Kai? Same thing with Alexa. And they have announced on Clubhouse that that they aren't collecting it when you are muted. But that's just what Clubhouse has stated. Wild. Kai? Okay, I want to to make a very important uh, comment on uh, on the basis of what Chris just said. Um, Voice is actually perhaps the easiest thing for artificial intelligence to to analyze, to model. So it's it's possible that um, artificial intelligence would listen to uh, Tyler for uh, about uh, two hours or maybe two days, uh, even better, (coughs) two weeks. And then um, artificial intelligence will be able to speak with Tyler's voice, Tyler's joke, Tyler's rhythm, Tyler's style, will will speak on anything. It's very easy. And Tyler, is that in addition, you? In, in addition, in addition, by the way, um, everybody has heard about the Wolf 3D. So one of the fastest uh, growth area is actually virtual human. So it's possible to look at uh, uh, Tyler's uh, 2D picture, and then Wolf 3D will be able to build a virtual uh, 3D uh, VR version of uh, of Tyler, and then. Artificial intelligence will identify this is the eye, this is the mouse, this is the nose, this is the ear. And um, so in a, in a virtual reality space, there will be a version of Tyler, even though Tyler doesn't know about it, will speak in Tyler's voice. They will read Great. about it. He, he, he could do uh, greenhouse now, green room, whatever well, that green thing is. And snore there too. But, and and this, is, <laughs> this, is, this is certainly the way it's going to happen because uh, these days you have lots of uh, superstars uh, or TikTok superstars, superstars uh, doing the live show, but they are too busy. Yeah, so you, you very soon you're gonna have fifty of this virtual person of that particular superstar. They will be able to populate fifty different uh, TikTok rooms and doing live shows. And uh, but obviously this is the technology being used in a so-called uh, quote-unquote correctly, but technology can also be used incorrectly. So your identity. Your style, your voice, your pattern, even your joke, and as Tyler said, the the bursting information, all the information put together, this is called identity theft. It's easy to happen. Yep. 
So check this out. Uh, Somebody just sent me a DM. Uh, Pierre from Club Deck. Um, And Pierre from Club Deck, which I use, says he's constantly updating Club Deck. I'm using it right now with you right now. And he says, uh, currently listening to you in tech news around the world, we can already do a Shazam-like fingerprint of your voice. We're experimenting with this. The comment someone made about Clubhouse listening to the mic even when muted is bullshit, though. But that he... Because he knows, because he uses all these APIs to in, in building uh, the interface to, that I'm using right now to operate Clubhouse, even though I'm not using the Clubhouse app. So he happens to know that that, uh, I guess, in some sense, can't be true that they uh, are listening on a technical basis. Pierre can jump up and explain it. But the, of course, the more interesting thing is that he already is doing a Shazam-like fingerprint of your voice to allow other people to speak with your voice. Um, Dr. Francine Hardaway, are you still with us? Uh, you shared this um, article about India's autocratic government takes on Twitter, Facebook, and Google from Slate. The comment I had about the mic was just what yeah, they yeah. stated, not I got what you. I believe. Uh, and maybe, maybe we just need a little more clarification um, on both sides, both from uh, Clubhouse and from Club Deck on, on what they mean about that. Because it's to me, it seems like technically they could do that. I don't see why they couldn't. Yeah, no, I th- I. Th- think Carl's right. He, he's specifically saying that the device is listening yeah. to the mic and the device is Correct. transcribing it Absolutely. on device I, potentially. But maybe maybe that's not possible due to IOS APIs, but it is definitely the case that it takes control right. of the mic as you go on stage. You can hear the audio. The yellow the yellow We're dot soft. above your the yellow dot tells you if it's a yellow dot it means your mic is on. If you're if it's a green dot it means your camera's on. And those are features that Apple puts in so you know what's going on right. at so any I, time. That's why I was hoping well, I was just saying what they what they had said about the mic, and I know that that's a software feature, not a hardware switch that you switch off your mic with hardware versus ah, just a software. So what he's he's saying, and he's chatting via DMs because he says it is uh, the device is on and the device is hearing the audio, but the, that audio doesn't leave the device. He says, which uh, I guess we could the, geeks could debate. I'm, I'm, but I- is not that the audio left the device. I think he was trying to say that the audio could be tra- potentially could be transcribed on device using the on-device speech-to-text, and then that textual metadata could potentially be sent. I think that was the argument. All righty. So I think we, we will do further deep dives just to recap, because the room has again doubled in size since we found all of this out. Here, long story short, wow, what, what a huge revelation we just had here today. Um, the future, I'll summarize. I'm, I'm going to oversimplify. Let's oversimplify this. But as predicted two weeks ago, Cal, Cheryl, call me crazy. Uh, yeah. More than two weeks okay. ago. More than two. We've been building up. Three, four weeks ago. Like yeah. Oracle, I did say yes. that America will likely, uh, and governments, will start likely doing what South Korea has been doing for many years, which is requiring the identities uh, verified identities of website users. And that sounded, ah, uh, well, tar- and I said that one might be a while off still. I think I remember uh, adding that caveat that it might not happen any day soon. But, however, uh, we d- definitely found out some shit today, did we not? So just to repack uh, as quickly as possible, Facebook announced that they're coming out with their Clubhouse competitor. They did a test of it four days or so ago with Mark Zuckerberg. They then did their big PR push today. And as part of their big PR push, they mentioned the stuff that you want to know about, like, for example, that it's uh, only on iOS for now. It's only in the U.S. for now. Oh, and by the way, in the fine print text, it's just for 
verify it was just with a handful of well-known um, creatives that are going to have access to creating these live audio spaces. Anyone can listen to them, by the way, but only if very few select people uh, who are known to Facebook will be able to create these live audio spaces. Uh, uh, political figures uh, that are known to them, for example, and other known figures known to them. And they, and interestingly, they will continue to add in uh, more known figures that they verify over time. And looking at that as a technologist, as a geek who's been in the game for a minute, I thought this is really interesting that they're being very careful about who's speaking in their live audio spaces. Just note to self, didn't even really say it out loud until I realized uh, Twitter spaces is a similar thing, which I, by the way, myself am a Twitter space creator, one of the very first, one of the first thousands. And by the way, I'm a verified Twitter user, meaning I have the blue check mark. They know who I am, which is why they allowed me to make Twitter spaces, to be a speaker and a moderator on stage. So it gets very interesting because now that Twitter Spaces is in the process of rolling out, they haven't really rolled it out globally yet at all, still in the beta phase, but they also now simultaneously are bringing out of a decade-long hibernation their own verification system that I got verified through 10 years ago. Is that a coincidence that Facebook is only letting verified people speak on the stages of their Clubhouse app and Twitter is rolling out their version of Clubhouse and also bringing back their verification at the exact same time. Oh, and what about this headline we read three days ago that Stripe is also doing account verification for all websites on the internet who may or may not need it. And that was an interesting uh, new feature for Stripe that didn't seem to make much sense. Why would Stripe be coming out with an identity verification system for every website on the internet? We don't really need that, do we? Well, we didn't until about an, until about an hour ago when we realized that Clubhouse and this uh, uh, live audio, social audio platform is so powerful that you can imagine uh, bad actors, bad politicians autocrats, uh, uh, tyrants, uh, you name it. And people do wonder what, what, what uh, looking at the, how Trump used Twitter, what, what could he do with Twitter spaces or Clubhouse or things of that sort? And, or what could ISIS or Hezbollah or, you know, uh, let your imagination go wild. You can understand that Facebook is very careful about who they're letting speak in their app because they have 2.5 billion users. And if if bad actors like ISIS and Hezbollah started using their apps, well, governments would start shutting Facebook down very quickly to limit the, the ability of their citizens to hear what uh, Hezbollah and ISIS are saying on, on their app. So you can understand why they're so careful about who's going to be speaking on their app. By the way, all governments are all very soon going to be very cautious about who's going to be speaking in these apps. And they might even decide we need to know who's speaking in these apps as the Koreans have been doing for a while. And in fact, Facebook might even encourage the governments to insist that Facebook and all of their future competitors verify who's in their apps because Facebook has the resources and the financial means and technical technological means and teams to do this. And it's very challenging to do technologically and, and, and requires a lot of resources that their future competitors do not have. And it would be built. If, yeah. And Tyler, if you look at the if you look at the price that Stripes uh, is asking for is two dollar per user uh, uh, per uh, per user verified. So yeah. it's, so, but, it's cost. Yeah. It costs well, a lot. To answer. Yeah. To answer Gabby and you, Tyler, there's a there's an article on finmasters.com ways to invest in Stripe. 
um, pre-IPO, and they mentioned Equity Zen and Shares Shopify as well. Just revealed that, with that they hold, that they have three hundred fifty oh, million you. dollars worth of Stripe. But now check this out. So if Facebook starts telling governments, hey, governments, you know what you should do? You should enforce that uh, we and Twitter and everybody, every website who has users must verify who their users are because that would clean up all of this Russian disinformation campaigns, which have been verified by the head of the FBI, the head of the British intelligence agency, and even Facebook's head of cybersecurity have all named all of the bad actors, the top 10 bad actors, and the number of campaigns and the millions of rogue fake accounts they've created. Well, that would all go poof, go, go gone, bye bye. It would fix all of that nonsense. And they could control all the bad actors who are on stage uh, on all of these apps, these incredibly new social audio, live audio apps. And if Facebook is encouraging governments to put in this new regulation in an attempt to put potentially block out all of their other up and coming future competitors, well, then this creates the amazing opportunity for Stripe to do it for everybody on their behalf, Stripe, as, the, as precisely as they did with fintech. Stripe made it incredibly simple for any website in, in a few minutes to enable uh, transactions between users, just like here in Clubhouse, when you click on my photo and you see the tip jar, that is enabled by Stripe. Now, Stripe just announced identity verification for all websites. Really simple. Just plug in the code into your site and we will identify and verify everybody for you because you don't have the technological means or financial resources to build the team necessary to do that and to comply with these future upcoming regulations that governments are going to enforce on you. And by the way, this website of Stripe Identity Verification that just launched in the past few days already is naming precisely four new partners that they have as part of the of launching Stripe identity. And you may have heard of one of them. Here's the four. Shippo, Peerspace, Discord, and an app called I'm I'm having trouble reading this last one. It's Club How Clubhouse? Club Clubhouse? Clubhouse. Oh wow. Clubhouse is also identifying everybody through Stripe identity. What a coincidence that Facebook's version of Clubhouse, Twitter's version of Clubhouse, and even Clubhouse version of Clubhouse are all now going to be requiring identities of the people speaking on these apps. Why are they doing that, Bobby? Well, I'm glad you asked, Jenny, because governments are going to start requiring that they do that and they want to get a jump on it so that they don't get shut down in these governments because already you can better believe that Clubhouse is getting thousands of requests a day from governments all over the world saying, who was that user who said that our country is evil? Who Thousands and thousands and thousands of times a day. How do we know that? Because there was a headline yesterday that I DM'd my dear friend Cal Patel, who you can see next to me on stage. Cal, do you remember this earth-shaking uh, DM that I sent you about the... Chinese, Chinese, check this out. Here, 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 here's all you need to know, folks. Here's, here's a headline that'll scare the bejesus out of you. Check this out. Just came out yesterday from AP News. U.S. resident sought by China for comments that he made, uh, is now freed in Dubai. AP, super reputable, one of the world's most reputable, uh, outlets. Okay, here it is. From Dubai, United Arab Emirates, a permanent resident of the United States, wanted by China, was freed in Dubai on Thursday, taking off on a flight to Turkey after spending weeks in detention in Dubai. Beijing had sought this individual named Wang Jingyu 
over his online comments about a deadly confrontation between Chinese and Indian forces last year. You remember when China and India were fighting up in the Himalayas? Well, this gentleman, Wang Jinggu, made his online comments that China did not like. And so when he arrived in Dubai, he was arrested by undercover police because China did not like what he said on the Internet, y'all. You think what they like what you're saying in Clubhouse? Do you think they're listening in Clubhouse? So guess... <laughs> <It's crazy. laughs> For the record, I love China. I love... Well, I see that. See that, that whiny. Uh, what did you say, Harry? You love China. So, so who, I, who, who was that? Who was that? I said, Harry, I said, that, was me, that was me. Tyler. It was Tyler. samurai fight. There were Tyler. no arms involved. Tyler, can Tyler, I highlight off I the back of what? Add, oh, go ahead. Wait, I just wanted to add to his chronological order that Twitter actually opened up its verification nope. process. Uh, let let me clarify. Be, they an, they, they announced weeks. that they're going to reopen their verification okay, two months go. ago. That's correct. They yes. closed it. Well, the thing is, yes, I had you friends that actually went in and applied. You That's could, how I know it was correct, you could apply, but it would just put you in the queue Twitter. until they yes. actually ramped up the team necessary to start doing the verifications. Yes, you will be in the I'm still in the queue here. Tyler, I think this is fascinating. And then part of me wonders why it took so long. Oh, so Jesus. the 2010 coup. Hang on, hang on, Lakeisha. Hey, Lakeisha, let's hug right now like as people in Thailand who well. love the kingdom, love the king. Oh boy, do we love the king of Thailand. Absolutely. fucking that guy. Uh, let me tell you how well, amazing the king of Thailand absolutely. is for a second. Oh, he's amazing. <laughs> he's, he's one of my favorite people on the planet. This guy is what? so goddamn cool. Let me Stop tell you Tyler. something about the King of Thailand. Or you've always said it's good. Yeah, but now let me just explain, folks, because there's the biggest users in Clubhouse are Thais. And the government of Thailand is very much listening and uh, to the conversations in Clubhouse. You better believe that. And we know that for a fact. In fact, hold on to your pants, everybody, because I'm going to break a little news for you. As Twitter knows, as, as Clubhouse knows, the ties are, uh, and as anyone can verify themselves by looking at the most popular rooms on, of the past 24 hours, there's always a few tie rooms out of the top 10 of any 24-hour period. And that's because they like to come in here and talk about politics. And they were talking about politics because Thailand has had a lot of coups where the military came in and removed the prime minister named Taksin, who was forced out of Thailand, essentially. Well, he was in the U.S. at the U.N. General Assembly. The tanks rolled around and said, don't come home. And he didn't. And he's been hi hiding out. And it, the Thais are joining in in Clubhouse talking about, you know, how they're not so happy with how things are being run here in Thailand. And guess who jumped in the room, everybody? One Mr. Taksin, the former prime minister who was exiled, jumps in the room. And then guess, do you think that made headlines in Thailand the next day? Maybe a few, maybe a little bit. Maybe the parliament members of Thailand took a little interest in Clubhouse after the formerly exiled prime minister of Thailand's now in what app again? Where was this? You better believe the, the Thai, uh, every, every important Thai minister themselves is here in Clubhouse. And, and by the way, I've befriended a few of them. They've even followed me into tech news around the world. The education minister came in here asking for help of, uh, is, are there any education tech startups that would like to grow in Thailand? Please, let's talk. And God bless him. 
And I hope I hope we do find some awesome ed tech companies that want to help them. Just but just to highlight the fact that you better believe the ties are listening to everything the ties are saying here. But if you don't have identity verification, and you better believe there are Thailand alone is sending Clubhouse thousands of requests a day every time somebody says something that they don't like. Oh, do would you like me to pull up the headlines of the BBC articles of people being imprisoned in Thailand for liking a Facebook article about a BBC article that dared say anything negative about Thailand? And many of them were imprisoned, and the prisons are like, I read a description that said that there is more space in a coffin than there is in a Thai prison. And so with this third wave, a lot of the people who were in prison were political, you know, people that made political statements against the current government. And yeah, but my, my other point to this was that the 2010 coup in particular, so Abhisit was the prime minister at the time after Thaksin, and it was largely organized on Twitter. And I remember being at um, a meeting that the U.S. ambassador had called and I said, you know what? These messages, these emails that um, are sent from the warden are entirely ineffective because I may get an email on Monday about an incident that was, you know, projected to have occurred that Saturday, that previous Saturday. And and so that day was actually the day that the U.S. Embassy um, opened a Twitter account because there was someone who was, you know, she was the communications director, but there was a middle manager that was like, no, everything has to go by cable back to D.C., et cetera, et cetera. But the Thai resistance at that time, and people did not give them enough credit because they were from rural, you know, upcountry, you know, they, they came into the city literally riding on farm trucks. They used Twitter and Thailand shut down the internet. So, so my point is that that was over 10 years ago. So it's, it's really surprising to me that governments have um, been as patient as they seemingly have been. Yeah, it's a good point. Maybe they should do the 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 Thai national anthem when they start a row, <laughs> as they do for movies. <laughs> they do play remember, it in, in, before you watch a movie. You know, yeah, exactly. When it's six a.m. or six like, six p.m. and eight a.m. every day. I was like, "What is happening? I'm just here to to watch like whatever a film in Bangkok, and then we're doing the national anthem all of a sudden." Um, but you yeah, need to turn it to Ben. Remember, I... they used to do it late at night on the U.S. one. If anybody, I don't know how old everyone is, but they used to do it late at night around midnight. You used to hear the right. American national yeah. anthem on channels. Yeah. Hey, Ben. Wait, before, uh, I'm, before I'm sure in the United Tyler. States they, they would do the same uh, very very soon. Hey, Tyler, I just have to go back to the tech, tech a little on the identity okay. part because hold, hold that thought space, for two so... seconds. Ben, are you in the yeah. room with us? He just started his blockchain news room. Yeah, he's I know, but he was here. He's on stage from what I can see. I need to re PTR because it's showing him on stage, but maybe he's not here. I... It, it still is for me as well. Yeah. And I'm in the um, okay. um, I just was hoping he could pop back in here and share a headline. And for those who want to, um, the name of his room is Monday Blockchain News. And Donna's over there now as well. So if you are interested in blockchain news, hop over to the Monday Blockchain News. from, uh, And you can click on the title the title of this room and you might you should be able to see it. I'm not sure. But anyway, it's in the hallway now called Monday Blockchain News. It's part of the Tech News Club. So follow the Tech News Club, and then no doubt you'll see it in the hallway. And now Sid and Alexandra are over there as well. And uh, so if you want to do blockchain news, he's got that going here. But um, we we definitely tap 
Yeah. Go ahead. Before we move on, can I just make a yeah. final point uh-huh. on this Stripe thing before we go on? Is that they're being really clever about this and everything that we've talked about, they're kind of aware of this because when you go through their privacy policy, they've positioned themselves as a data broker. They have it in their privacy policies about all this collected biometric data that they are not responsible for the storage or the usage of it and that they pass all of the information on apart from their proprietary algorithms for, for, the, for the sort of uh, uh, the biometrics, um, which isn't particularly useful. It's only useful to them. Um, all of the other data is passed on to the site, to the business that made the request in the first place. Now, why is that? Because when the U.S. government or any other government comes a knocking, they don't have to go to Stripe because obviously an information request to a company as large as Stripe is big news. But if you're just a small town sort of mall or something like that, and you happen to have that person's data, well, you can't defer it off to Stripe because you were given that data. You have that. You know, you, you were given that from that request. Um, so it means that, you know, that, the, the, you know, the U.S. government and the other government, they don't have to go after the big boys for this for this uh, for this um, identification. They can go directly to the smaller businesses, which makes it much easier cool. for them. On, I, on yeah. that point, I had, I had a quick question. So if you're dealing with a multinational and Stripe is dealing with like a multinational, for example, if you buy something off of, let's not name a country, uh, autocratic, a company that has close ties with an autocratic country. And in that sense, if, if they use Stripe authentication, that means you're saying that the data that I do through Stripe identity will be given to that company as well. Say that again, please. Yep, it goes, it goes, it, yes, it, it does. I want to confirm that it goes to, not, Stripe has it, and they store it in, in certain, for certain periods, but then everything except the biometric markers that the Stripe proprietary AI algorithms use, so the images that you submit, the documents that you submit, any photos that you submit, any information that you submit on their little form that pops up when you use their verification, all of that is also sent back to the business that was hosting that code. So basically, like if I use my passport, it will be given yes. to. Okay, got it. Okay, thanks, Carl. Yes, so and Carl, if you want Carl. to, if you want to erase that train, if you want to erase that trail, you have to go to every single site that you've ever gone to that you've ever verified from, and go through their separate pain in the ass BS um, form submission to get them to remove your data. Exactly. So this is this is why I said when you talked about this title the first time, I said this is crap, exactly for this reason how they're going to treat this. And so that's why I think this is a very stupid solution, but everyone's going to go for it, I guess. Um, and, and I also, another thing on Carl, I'm not sure, but I don't think they're actually, there's, there's no way of them verifying that this specific ID card, passport or whatever is actually yours. There is, there uh, is. So they're no, stating but... in their data, in their documentation, they state that it is compared against governmental databases. They, they, I can go and find the, the snippet and retweet it if I go back to my laptop. Yeah, yeah I get um, that part. I get that part. But how do they connect you, Carl, you, that you are using your... They have a test of liveness. But what is that? A, so, Tell me. Yeah. So first of all, um, uh, just, to, just to agree with Carl that um, this will be successful because Tripe is <laughs> Tripe. Stripe. Um, stripe is Stripe. <laughs> Um, yes, that was a, a Freudian slip there. Yes, it is tripe because basically the information that you're going to share with them is information that you've already shared with the duly authorized authority. So usually, um, and I know this from our own experience because we, we're, we're doing this for in a self-sovereign way that's shareable, 
Um, but basically, you can provide any one of uh, a passport, a driving license, uh, and any other supporting documentation, which is then compared against various different databases, which already hold that data. So, you know, I always talk about duly authorized authority. So if you have to give something to the government, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, then you will have to do that anyway. And you've already compromised that information. The question is one of storage and whether if there's a change of regime, you lose your uh, sovereignty and that you have the threat of force from excluding you in the fi in uh, you know financial realm through credit or whatever else which wait, is wait, wait. Highly I think you're digressing I just answer the question about the biometric how so do the, they check So the biometric is you take a picture of yourself and because of the way that cameras work you can do a test of liveness and they compare the liveness of the photo to the the uh, a number of uh, points on the facial recognition if you've provided um, a picture of yourself that they match up to and then through the various other reinforcing data, which is your social security number, if you're American, or any other KYC AML documentation, that is uh, how they get to a confidence score. And that confidence score is what puts you through in order that you can receive the credit that you want. And remember, that's the purpose of this, to receive credit. Can I answer, as is it Aslak that's asking the question? I'm asking this because there is there is technology already to use the chips in in passports and the so the electronic passports and electronic uh, uh, driver's license have a chip that you can basically use your phone uh, to basically clone that chip's biometric data into your phone, which is a lot more secure and a lot better than starting taking pictures of stuff. Um, because I mean, uh, so I'm I'm quite doubtful of that technology of just using pictures of pictures of pictures. It just becomes, for me, quite quite haz hazardous to do. So I get I get the question as well, and, and I think part of your question is if if you if you go through this verification process and you go to submit a picture and they don't always ha already have your own record, how will this work? Well, that's that's kind of the point, isn't it? Because the easiest and fastest way is the way that wins out and gets first priority. So you go to the site and you go to complete a checkout or anything like that or verification, and the quickest, easiest one that everybody's going to push is the the the, the selfie because it's it's what everybody's used to, and and the younger generation especially has no qualms about taking a picture and submitting it to a third party that will then come back and fail and say oh i'm sorry we haven't got anything to match us up against have you got any documents or other identification stuff that will work and then you do that and then in the future bam you're done and i think he's just got a call so we can't actually hear my answer but the point is after that point you have submitted that the selfie then you've submitted verification in document form and from that point onwards stripe is more than happy to verify you using your face um, because you've already done it and then and, and submitted a document verification if, if that makes sense yeah U uber does that currently with their drivers uh one question carl uh, the, uh isn't it this also isn't it this that they are not going to ask your identity every time they are only going to ask your identity or verification when they realize that there is some sort of fraud happen in this transaction Yes, no. the point is they're not just tracking they're not just tracking that one thing they're tracking all the other aspects about I mean Nicholas you I think you chipped in here you might have a bit more information but I'm assuming that they're tracking a hell of a lot else like your device numbers and your IP addresses yeah, so when you yeah. put all of that together, it, it, it's the case with all of this stuff. A single piece of information is useless. The point is that Stripe, like many other big tech companies, isn't collecting one piece of data. They're collecting 153 pieces of data. So, uh, 
one more thing is Stripe. When you very when you have a business inside Stripe, you of course are uploading your identity to the Stripe, and they verify with your photo. That's already there with them. But and, that's of and, course for the, the business. And the service that they are extending is one to businesses, whereby you will implement just like you can implement uh, Stripe. You can now implement Stripe identity. And so the, the, it will spread because people will want to use it because, yes, it will help with fraud, yes, et cetera, et cetera. And people don't really care about their identity. As someone who's deeply involved in identity and, uh, and also finance, that's, the, that's what you notice is that people care about borrowing $10,000 a lot more if they need $10,000, a lot more than giving uh, correlating information that becomes essentially how you are tracked and, and traced. And ultimately, we do have solutions to that, which is called zero knowledge proofs, which businesses can you know, use. And you could have exactly the same service provision. But we as citizens need to insist that we should be able to use those technologies. And can I, I bet you cotton socks just quickly that not only is this very easy for a developer, for, for a standalone developer to implement on a custom bespoke website, um, but also you can be sure that the likes of Wix is going to pick this up, Squarespace is going to pick this up, WordPress is going to introduce first class support for this integration yep. into their platform. So it's going to be ubiquitous. So it's going to see a crossover into the real world, too, because if Stripe has your biometric information, your payment information and a way to ver verify who you are. You're talking about being able to walk into a store, yep. grab something, and walk out. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah, you nailed it. The it's biometric just, information okay. is not quite like that. It's not doing... It's not... Maybe it will be in the future, but the biometric they're talking about is really just about taking data that is static, like social security, IRS transcripts, and any other identifying data that you have on the phone and correlating that with the face that you have on your passport or your, or, or, or your driving but, license. But see, the, it can be, all these technical problems can be circumvented by them just saying, hey, look, if you're a Stripe vendor, run this little app. And if you're a Stripe user, run this That's app. the service and, they're selling. Right? Yeah, that is, that's the business that they... And so when you walk into a store, yeah. even if they didn't have the facial identification, you could essentially walk in and out you know, in other ways, the checkout um, process, yeah, the checkout process will be very smooth. And that's what they're banking on. It's like one click. It's it's one click, but you're no, also no, 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 trapped no. in the what he's saying, What he's saying, Nicholas, is in physical stores as well. That's a really yeah, good I mean, point back, that we have. Back in the up. old days, it was no, like, no, I, that's what I mean. It's like one say, click hey, physical. You, I'll pay you tomorrow for a hamburger today, right? And, and now you can do it with Stripe without even talking right. to the vendor at all. And that's, and that's the beauty from their perspective is that you can then offer all the buy now, pay later credit, which is the future of the way that financing is going to likely to work. And that can actually be devolved to the corporations is ultimately their desire. This is so wild. Uh, you, that is, yeah. This is, this is such an amazing discussion, Tyler. But I like, think I just, I just want to say one, one thing that, that I'm fun. thinking you think about the iOS uh, release really recently when where they're trialing the the new identity system. Um, that is a better solution. I, I, I at least the way I'm looking from a technical perspective. So I, I hope that Stripe will go more towards that from a technical perspective than than that just doing pictures and and then the way they're dealing and sharing this information everywhere, which yeah. I think is is not very smart. Hey Tyler, you but should create a special, uh, do a special topic day, and and pull these things out so we can do more 
uh, heavier discussions. Well, well, yeah, this, what's, this what's interesting about it is it will now to, inform uh, many of our other conversations because there's, you know, concurrently about two dozen other narratives and plot lines that overlap with each other from time to time. And this one has just, you know, we've really made a considerable progress on this p part of the jigsaw puzzle. And it will now be interesting to see what other new pieces we're able to connect to uh, now that we've uh, yeah. yeah. If I could give you two thoughts, if I could give you two thoughts to your point mm -hmm. that you just mm -hmm. made. Mm -hmm. One is that identity is the root of trust. That's the, the key thing. So it, that's why it applies to everything. And, and that ultimately it is the key to uh, our, all of our democratic rights. So everything that you were saying about Modi, about Thailand, about China, about the new vaccine passport, it touches everything. How how do you do you have any thoughts um, based on your kind of unique um, background in this about uh, you know aspects that we didn't touch on about the idea of governments potentially enforcing you know websites to uh, identity verification um, it, did that put any thoughts in your mind that we didn't discuss for example. No, that everything that you, that's come, you know coming into people's consciousness because of the pandemic as well. That's the other thing to bear in mind is that everybody is asking for those vaccine passport pictures of you know I've been hit for twice today alone, um, just sending my children to camp. So just for me to turn up there, for example. So everything that, that the room and the, everyone in technology is acknowledging is there's there is this line in the sand being drawn. And it's becoming more and more obvious and everyone is coming to consciousness through their own lens, whether that's healthcare, whether that's finance, which is obviously a giant one for uh, the West, or whether that is um, the, 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 the social democracies that are under so much pressure because of garbage in, garbage out in terms of electoral data and information. And people have seen that. And that's why they're questioning their experts. And that's why... Brett Weinstein and all of those guys and this whole sort of there's this whole wave of people moving around in their opinions because they don't know what inputs are true and what's false. So post-truth and now post-trust. And there's only one system that can help that. And that is a decentralized, distributed, permissionless, unstoppable uh, blockchain based networks that are owned by the people. That's the only way. That's, those are the two sides of the coin. Because if the government changes and they put a gun to Zuckerberg's head, he's going to give you up. Same when you with say owned by the people. Uh, it's, it, when you say owned by the people, could you clarify? Because uh, decentralized. Well, a, a truly public, a truly decentralized, distributed public blockchain, not necessarily Bitcoin, but that's the future technology that's going to come, where everybody can use a PC or a mobile phone and provide support to a network and storage to that network that is of, by, and for the people, and that can interface in a compliant way with governments using um, technologies that use cryptography, like zero-knowledge proofs, which will enable you to provide everything that you, you duly need to provide as a citizen to whoever needs it, but in a way that nobody else gets to see that data. You just give a, a, a proof that that is 
verifiably true using mathematics and and that's the it's just that that this if i was to say to tyler the only thing one is missing in these conversations is that the technology exists it's just not yet at the comparable price and the comparable usability to the centralized solutions and that's really the difficult bit that we're in but it, it is so so close that that's why governments are all starting to shut things down and why China's doing what it's doing. We talked about that as well, that China would be the first mover. They would force their CBDC. And then, you know, that would be the way that this new era would kick off. And it seems to be happening. And it's an important point because uh, if we we just look at stripes and projecting ourselves in 10 years, imagine if you're canceled from uh, uh, those kind of verification system by stripes. That's I right. just wanted to add as well that the UN's planning a discussion on these kind of related topics in the next. Indeed, they are. Yeah, the, I work in the their United own States, kind of so. digital identity wallet, as they call it, right? Um, and tell us what stocks exactly. to buy. We we need some stock tips here on DeFi. Well, here, here's here's my question to Nicholas, which is because um, I used to think that I now realize that uh, Nicholas, what you're working on, uh, can make progress totally independently of Bitcoin, actually. And I'm and I'm now realizing that due to this conversation we had today that you're even more brilliant than I even uh, thought previously. And I think it's just going to be crazy. But can Nicholas, can you do a room and tell us what you're doing exactly? Then it will be very interesting. So, uh, Nicholas, the could could. In the okay, we let's look at it this way. Bitcoin is now being challenged, you could say, for lack of a better word, by governments. Right? Some are embracing a little bit. Some there's kind of is is there not kind of three different approaches to oversimplify it? Some are just outright resisting. Some are wholesale embracing, and then some are doing this evil, friendly, uh, frenemy bear hug scenario. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yes. Yes. I think you know. At first, people at first people resist, and then they realize that the technology is unstoppable and it is permissionless. And, and but then they realize that they would be better off to bring it into the camp, like the U.S. has, and give everybody uh, the bear hug, and everyone gets excited, and that causes people to shill people into buying. You know, I feel terrible for all the people that got shilled into buying all the way up to 60,000, like happened in 2017. And and then it falls back again. And, and the government likes that because, you know, that type of an experience will put you off um, holding this asset forever. Right. And and so what what we need to do is acknowledge that it's about the technology. And yes, the support for the technology is important. Bitcoin is important because it it is a fundamental innovation and the thing to look up for people that are not aware of it is just look up the double spend problem. It solves that problem and that problem enables you to verify and then trust. So that's the big leap. And if we understand that we can trustlessly work together to collaborate and we say, oh, that's like the light bulb in the sector, we can say that that has value, that that solving that problem is something of great value. And that's what we saw. But it's only of great value if you can interact with the world as it is, not as you wish it to be. So there is not going to be a revolution and anything else. That's that's madness. We're not moving to 21 million hard currency coins. That's madness. 
What we need to do is we need to work within the democracies. And China is showing that even if you have an autocracy, you, you can uh, close down uh, uh, an entire sector. And the ripple effect that has on on Bitcoin is immense because that's a big part of how it does what it does. So that's because it requires it does require energy to any would require cheap energy. So that's when you have to say, oh, how do you solve the problem of doing what Bitcoin does, but doing it on a regular PC or a mobile phone that everyone can own? So it is fairer and better distributed because that makes us stronger. And that's the problem that that we we look to right. solve so and he, that Veris.io so Nicholas, did solve. What is the in the in the way that Bitcoin is having its frictions uh, globally? What and because it in large part because it's interfacing with banks, right? You are not in, really challenging the banks, uh, which kind of in in one sense might make your uh, uh, endeavor less. Uh, friction-filled than Satoshi's, right? Right, because we're not saying that you're going to replace the dollar because the dollar is a, a force for, you know, expansion of the universe, of, you know, which is economics, and there's physics behind it. What The problem that we have in our world is that the average company at the, at the moment that's quoted in the world, an average company most people know, makes a 10% net operating profit, Right. So if it make, does a million of revenue, it, it makes 100,000 of profit for the business owner. But one of the problems that we have within that is that that million of revenue that you, that you generate costs around about 6% in fees, right? So that's 60,000 of the 100,000 of profit you make is in the payments yeah. cost and the frictional financing cost. I get cost. that. I want... And that's... But that's the problem that you need to solve because that's what Stripe identity enables is that all those uh -huh. companies are charging 2.9% to 3.5%. That's where the, all the money in the it. world is in money, is in money full stop. The biggest markets in the world are housing. That's the biggest market for money. Then insurance, then uh, auto credit, then credit cards, and then subprime credit. And and that is trillions of dollars. That's a hundred trillion dollar business. Got it. And that's what everyone's fighting about. Because what goes alongside the security of that money is identity. Because all that money is owned by someone on a ledger. And that ledger is currently kept by money center banks and centralized entities. And that is really old technology that doesn't move very well. And that's why it's so expensive. And that's what's keeping 6 billion people out of the finance market. So and the Stripe's, finance market got is it. credit. I get it. Credit so is Stripe the, is, is the, the centralized version of what you're working on. And, is this, and Stripe's... I, exactly. I want one owned by the people. Stripe it. for the well, people. Well, now you have that's a much easier are. reference point. <laughs> so... Uh, Yes, um, sadly, but it does. It does. Ver it does also add an incredible amount of credence to your um, initiative um, and an agenda. Yeah, and our fees are 0.0175%, and it all goes to the people. It doesn't. There's no founder reward. We didn't do an ICO. We don't have any VCs. So Stri Stripe's announcement of this is of actually potentially of tremendous benefit to you.
we will be launching a service that competes directly with them, that can be owned by everyone in the world, and that you can duly give all the information and keep all the information in zero knowledge privacy to yourself. So the government will have to say, why wouldn't we let the people well, do this? Also, also, and but then just, you'll find just out. Ha- just the, the, the fact that it is revealed. Stripe, which every investor in the world wishes they were had been involved in, and the fact that Stripe is doing this makes your pitches to... Not that you need to pitch. You're not interested seeking investment in that way. But a- any partners that you talk with will now uh, listen with more open, more attention, um, because you're, it, it, it helps position your your whole proposition in a much more elegant way. It enables people to understand. So, as Einstein said, uh, so to understand is to know what to do. And so until someone else was going to do it centralized, it, we Why always knew it would be very difficult for people yeah. to understand what that would imply. Right. So now we offer a decentralized option that is one-tenth of the price and is owned so this, by the people. Begs, so anyone this, who just hold participates on. Now in I'm starting to realize it, yeah, in the Stripe scenario, um, obviously Stripe has your identity on their side. Does their partners, meaning Clubhouse, which they announced as one of their four partners, also have the identities of their users on on Clubhouse's side? Or if they partner with Facebook, Facebook then, uh, or uh, Company A partners with Stripe Identity. Company A then gets to know all of the identity information that they need, or do, do they just have what they already had before? Or is Stripe actually providing them additional identity information? Let's put it this way: it depends. Uh, it depends on uh, the relationships between the parties. You know, you know. For example, Google has a strong relationship with Apple. Apple has a strong relationship with Goldman. Goldman has a strong relationship with Coinbase. Coinbase has a strong relationship with Andreessen Horowitz. You know, depends where you are. The important bit from from your side is that you d- uh, people uh, people are the ones in control of their identity and, and that you're using one of the most fundamental, beautiful, dare, one might dare say genius aspects of uh, blockchain to solve a very uh, interesting problem, which can be applied to identity in a way where you're able to verify without your identity, without revealing things that you don't want to reveal. Yeah. Correct. You have complete control. And whilst you, we acknowledged that if you're using this app, when I'm speaking, I know I'm being recorded. I know I'm being listened to. And I know that it, you know, that that is the, the, the way we're living at the moment. What I think we all care about is our children, and our grandchildren and future generations, that they should have the ability to own all of their data, their social data, their wellness data and their financial data, all of which Apple has more knowledge than you do at the moment. And they're going to apply AI to it. So you're going to have superhuman insights into yourself and your cohorts. That's what they're talking about. That's why they're closing down the cookies so that they can do these cohorts. But they can correlate everything. Where I'm sitting now speaking to you can be correlated. Now, at the moment, we're protected by the Constitution. But in the future, if we, we, we are at risk if we don't recognize that all of the information that we generate needs to be hidden behind zero knowledge proof so that you decide what data you reveal and that you can monetize that data. At the moment, you are being monetized by advertisers. At the moment, as we speak, you're being monetized in that way. 
And the, the financing to do that, the whole point is that we need to drop the so cost the digit, of doing that so EU that everyone digital can ID wallet system that they're kind of working on with an impressive um, urgency. Uh, might they then require websites like Facebook to use the EU digital wallet form of, and then they, as the EU, control what is shared by the user, the European user, so that Facebook uh, can authenticate the user, but in a way that the EU desires, but without giving away personal information. And then this this becomes a a player yes. a big player in the game as well. Yes. This EU digital ID wallet. Every country. So th this is what we were talking about all that time ago. The vaccine and the pandemic is, and I'm not saying it was. It, I'm, I'm not saying that there was a conspiracy of any sort, but it was the moment where we realized, and that I think a lot of people realized that you're going to get forced into. Uh, identity structures, and those are going to require information in order for you to board a plane, go to a concert, etc. It's already happening. And that when they tally that information with your financial information, which is already happening anyway, because your credit card information is on your iPhone, and those people own them. And when, you know, when people start to see, oh, they really do know everything about me in every domain of my digital reflection, and I have no rights at all in that domain that we, you know we had talked about this long time ago would become effectively sovereign digital identity rights and that we would need a digital declaration of, of independence because we hold these truths to be self-evident but nothing is self-evident to us it's okay, self-evident to someone just you know, the people who control our perceptions from the audience through really listening these about, he wanted to ask about the sign-in with ethereum and how your perspective on how this relates. Uh, it's backed by VCs, backed by JP Morgan, and it is, you know, the, the part of the bear hug. This, you know, these technologies need to be owned by everyone who's on this call can just download, uh, uh, will be able to download the software and interact and will earn money from just, you know, having this on their computer and knowing that they're behind it and there's no centralized power behind it. That's what is so attractive about the decentralized world. If it's done properly, it's self-evidently right. And if you look at Stripe, just look who's behind this. Look behind who's behind Apple. You can't have, and this is why global leaders are shutting down the technocracy, the American technocracy, which is like the dollar hegemony, because they're realizing, and you talked about this, that they need to have their own technology behemoths because they want to trap their own citizens and, you know, and use them. They are the resources of the nation and they need to be able to collect taxes from them in order to have a monopoly on violence. And what we need as citizens is to have a technology that we all own over the top of all of them that says we can all be one here and we can all participate and we can use this to have better democracies. It's not to overturn anybody. It's to say we just need to elect better leaders, leaders that have we've elected on the basis of correct information that we've self-evidently been able to inquire of through a ledger that we're all maintaining so we cannot distrust the institutions yeah, we've worked hard to just, build. It boils down to trust. The root, that's what I said, identity is the root of trust. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's also the root of our consciousness. 
Because if you lose your mind, what you've lost is your identity, the ability to match wow. your consciousness with your experiences. <laughs> right? Your consciousness and your could experiences I, could, create I, your history. Your identity you is your history. Nicholas, can I ask you a question? So I subscribe to everything uh, you've articulated. I have a question that hopefully won't take us down a rabbit hole. But while DLT uh, dramatically reduces the risk of identity theft, it doesn't take it to zero. Um, and so to the extent that that will be much less common, but much more devastating if your identity is stolen in a DLT environment, do you have thoughts about how to quarantine and restore someone's rightful identity after theft? That's a brilliant question. A perfect question because that is, so if I was just to relate this back to Bitcoin and UTXO blockchains and ledgers very quickly, is to say that the beauty of Satoshi is he solved the double spend problem. But the problem of, for Satoshi was the money over IP, the being self-sovereign and maintaining and doing the whole private key, public key, that whole thing is complicated. And that's what you can think of as the single sign-on equivalent. It's not easy to self-custody that, that, that new type of value, right? And so identity is what you need in order to, to do that, right? You're, you are your account, like you are your account of your life. You are the same way you, you maintain your history. You need to maintain your digital history, but it's hard to do. And so identity, the way we saw it is that's the second building block that everybody else didn't put at the root of what they were doing. The root of trust enables you to um, be at your own bank, to be your own data bank, be your own data union. But the problem is if you, God forbid, were to lose your keys, you lose your money, right? In the same way, if you were to lose the keys to your identity that you were now self-sovereign over, you could lose your identity and that would be far worse than losing your money. It's like losing your mind, right? Imagine, so, imagine a divorce scenario where one exactly. chooses to sell so, the identity of their, of their ex. Absolutely. Um, so, so, if, so just to answer, just to, so I just give that as the preamble to say you're absolutely right on the question. The answer to your question is you need to solve that problem if you're going to create a, a, a solution the way you have to be able to issue that identity in a way that you've issued it to yourself through a software. And then you need to be able to revoke that identity and recover that identity. So actually an identity in our setup that is fully self-sovereign, you own it, you don't have to pay fees every year, you don't, it's not like having a website, but you can do lots of things with it, but that identity you have to be able to issue, revoke and recover. And we actually put, tried to put legislation into New York State during COVID, uh, the COVID Emergency Relief Act to give a self-sovereign identity right to people to be able to do that, to issue, revoke and recover. If you can issue, revoke and recover, not only are you gonna solve the fraud problems because you're gonna be able to take all the stuff that Stripe wants you to have, but make it yours. So you say, okay, that's fine. If Stripe can do it, we can do it. And now we're gonna make it so it's zero knowledge. So we're gonna keep all that data to ourselves now. But if you wanna pay us for it, you can pay us for it. And how do we pay you? Oh, because we've got a sovereign identity. You can just pay me, I'm gonna make my rate you're going to pay me, you know, X for my data, or I'm not selling it, right? Or I'm paying, you never, you, you can say, you're going to say, I will never sell it. So you have all of the ability to take all that information now and make it your own repository, keep it fully private and fully in, under zero knowledge. That means verifiably true, mathematically verifiably true, but you don't need to retain that data. That nobody needs to retain that data except for the source that, 
it, you know, you initially interacted with, like the passport office or the driving license uh, issuing authority, right? So there will be duly authorized authorities, which you trust. I trust the DOT. I, I don't mind them having that information, right? Why is the EU today announcing, or the Reuters is reporting that the EU privacy watchdogs call for ban on facial recognition in public spaces, um, AI systems using biometrics to categorize individuals based on ethnicity, gender, political, or sexual orientation uh, potential to get banned. Do you have any thoughts? So two, two, yeah, two reasons. One, because the European Union is actually pretty good at, at trying to advocate for preserving privacy. So, so the GDPR was you know, far ahead of its time and the CCPA followed, which is the privacy acts around your data. So they're generally good actors and they have good intentions. But the problem is that... Um, that they also run massive surveillance uh, cameras and everything else. So <laughs> they have their own uh, cognitive dissonance going on. And well, it's um, yeah. the problem well, the, with it, AI. Here, here, well, and, let, and let, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it, uh, you're going exactly where I thought you would go, which is that they don't, the state doesn't like competition. That's it's, the point. It's, it, it's that it knows that there's a huge amount of bias in AI because systems that are built by people and, uh, and are recursive um, at, will, will effectively you know, highlight exactly the biases of the society. It's a black mirror, right? And the data, is that's what's so powerful about AI, is that it will, it will provide us with the missing link. We, we're all uh, conscious humans and we're having uh, a human experience um, that is mediated now in a great deal by technology. And therefore, our digital reflection is far deeper and far more informative when we are in large numbers. That's why Facebook is so powerful. That's why they wouldn't let them do Libra. Because <laughs> exactly when right. you match financial power with, with data power and you have massive AI, you know much more about the population than the population knows about themselves. And when you are a state that can therefore nudge with economic incentives, you create a new type of reality. And that's why we need to own and there will be a public option. And we just have to figure out how to get it to be simple enough that everybody can do it. And that everybody realizes that it is rationally in my interest to be part of this network that I own and control, than be part of Apple or Google or anybody else's network. It it doesn't make any sense to be contributing to their business for free when you could contribute to fellow men and make the rewards yourself. Um, Nicholas, I have a question. Can I ask you Go ahead, Cheryl, and then Florian, and then Jason. Okay, Nicholas, uh, regarding this self-sovereign identity, right, what if, for example, Tyler one day lost her mind become mentally not able to take care of himself, who is going sure. to take over his identity? Sure. So that's why you need to have to be able to issue, revoke and recover. You have three IDs. You have your primary ID, which would be uh, Tyler at, and then he would have a revocation ID and then he would have a recovery ID. And most people would be, you, you could be completely self-sovereign and have yourself as the three IDs with three uh, different associated um, backups, etc. But, what most people would do, and you can also have many, so it's not only uh, you could, that's your basic setup, but you can have a setup with, you know, 
uh, five children or whatever else that you can have as multiple signatures so that you would have to you could say you can revoke the id god forbid tyler was in an accident and you needed to get access to his funds you would be able to revoke that id but you wouldn't be able to recover it because he put his recovery say with his lawyer um you know as part of his uh, living will right and so you have the ability to create any form of arrangement that suits you once you have a self-sovereign identity technology that enables you to have this, uh, uh, the way we've designed it, th these three IDs, so that you can always uh, never fear losing your private seed. So you can always, even if you were to, this is how you can make sure that you can never be losing your money in the same way you can never lose your identity data, is that you can revoke that ID so you can prevent any further spending or any further use, and then you can recover it. And you can do that yourself, or you could split that with your wife, or with your children, or with your but, lawyer, uh, or any other how, group. But how do you revoke it when, you're, you, when you have already lost your mind? Like, for example, okay, just... Right. Can you hear now, Nicholas? Yeah, you would, you, would, okay. you, you would set it up in a way that would be suitable to you. So if you, if you decided to be completely self-sovereign, then you, and you didn't use any scheme that, that uh, shared with your loved ones, then you would find yourself in a situation where you would not have uh, ability to access your funds. But, you know, that's, that's the risk that you have in, in, okay. in normal life. So uh, we're going to move on. Mm. Jason, you had a quick question before we move on to other topics. Yeah, just just briefly, that that um, that structure that you talked about would that could that also work for those um, who have disabilities? Could you set up that family structure so that exactly you could, so that you could? Um, I have a daughter who has Down syndrome, so she can't own a bank account in her name, or she loses all of her her um, rights to you know Medicare, Medicaid, and all of the other sorts of services if she goes over a certain. Um, volume so what i'd be interesting to interested in knowing is could you create a like a a triangle of, of a trust with this same thing for her identity exactly that's exactly how it's designed that you can you could you can take any legal structure that you want and empower it by having this triumvirate of identities the primary id the revocation id and the recovery ID. And if you go on my profile to, and then go to Veris.io, there's a, there's a good article about, um, about this. We, we wrote a lot of good Medium articles. So have a look at the Medium articles, and anyone who's really technical can go and look at the Git repository. So it's, it's, all, um, it's, all, uh, it's all open source. It's all owned for the people. You know, it's like, that's the beauty of it. You can take it and build on it, or you can build with us, you know, whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. But just, Tyler, mm -hmm. just one last comment, another question to Nicholas. But don't you think that this is all utopia because humans and the systems do not like what you talk about? Because what I see right now, that the free internet is getting less and less free and it's more and more power play of money and governments. And this is look at China, look at Russia, look at India, even the US to a certain extent. Now, Maybe yeah. the EU is a little bit different because the EU is less centralized and it's not just one country and you cannot just one deciding. But what I see right now with happening with cryptocurrencies or with other things or with your identity, again, maybe it's less misuse of private companies, but, it, but it's, I, I see things going and happening towards a misuse of government. 
again, depending on where your company is located, who owns the shares, right. and at the end, the government's comments come in. That's why you need a decentralized. That's why you need a decentralized distributed technology because there is no company, there is no owner. I'm not. I'm not the owner of this. I'm just a community member that contributes time and effort and developers, and I'm just. I just want this to happen for my kids and for my children's children and for, and for the world. So. It, you could say it's utopian, except it exists. You know, you can go now and look at the code and it's going to be at mainnet. It's, it's, it will be at mainnet sooner than later. And when it is, there's nothing that I can do about it, you can do about it, or that anyone, like they can't do about Bitcoin. But what holds Bitcoin back is its usability, right? Like early internet was. But when you have something that's easily usable and easily understandable and is owned by the world because there is no controller then you do have the the thing that you're exactly witnessing is that the powers that be do not want these technologies to emerge. That's for sure. But like any technology, once it does exist, people will adopt it. And the fact that it will be easy to use and obviously self-evidently able to provide to the government what they want, which is the verifiable data. If they want more than the verifiable data, then you know you've got a democracy issue. So you have to accelerate that to leadership. And there's no problem with that. You just say, okay, well, if this person doesn't believe in our right to use this technology, then they're clearly not who we want to be our leader or the people that want that type of control to be held by government will in in elect that leader. And that's what we need to do. We need to use democracy. And that's why the blockchain relates to voting because you know that's the next place it's gonna go. So now, it's it, now you're it, getting crazy we Nicholas, because we do have you're getting crazy because now everyone knows our voting systems democracy. are flawless at the moment. I mean, there's no there's no disagreement about who's winning these elections. It's yeah, <laughs> not not at all. No one has any disagreement. They don't even disagree That's, about this, whether they're being is, influenced by Facebook. I was going to say that you know, really, this is actually to. To, to identify the vote i mean to be honest if you got to identify yourself everywhere in society and not in the sacred part of any democracy okay. ding 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 you know. bingo bingo that gets that solves all of your redlining that's all of your gerrymandering that's all of it's politics guys the politics is the invisible hand is the hand of the corporations over the legislation of 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 the country and the, and the constitution is what's supposed to protect us if we unite around publicly owned technologies, we have a dog in the game. If we say we can't do it, we, you know, then we're just self-defeating. The, the question I was answering is, is this utopian? No, just D-Y-O-R, do your own research. That's the mantra of, of crypto. That's why I don't shill. It's like, thing is, just do the work and you'll uh -huh. see it's there. And then we're going to make it, you know, usable, very usable. Nick, Nicholas, would it be simply to have the algorithm at Twitter and Facebook cast the vote for us so it gets that's correct? That, uh, that's what we call Swedish humor. Yeah. Right? Those who didn't uh, pick up on uh, Johan's joke there. So um, hold, let's hold the conversation for a minute. Oh, my Lord. Let me, get, let me get the snoring button out again for you, Sylvan. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> Here, I'm going to yeah, start. Yeah, Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, do that. Do that. You get your, your finger ready. So, um, do you, do you know? Do, um, have you heard of uh, Civic? Yes, they are a layer because two solution. Civic um, launched, I think, in two thousand and seventeen, and what they did was identity ver verification. But this is where you 
you know, put your identity and all your documents on the blockchain, and then other companies use them to verify that. And only when when that verification happens with no exchange of data. And I thought that was a very neat solution. You're, you're absolutely right. So Civic was an early player and a guy called Vinnie Lingham started up. It's a, it's a again, it's not a public uh, endeavor. It's a company endeavor. So the main thing to look for when you're looking to see for the hallmarks of whether it's going to be the winner in the future is, is there a company behind it? If there's a company behind it that owns it, that's not going to be the winner because it can't be owned by a company. It can't be owned by a government. And so this is what you're seeing back to Tyler's original point about the infrastructures. And those identity infrastructures are going to set rules of what can and can't be asked for in order to access society. Their, their society access passes is how you can think about it. And that they're going to, wherever needed, devolve that to corporations because it will be overstepping civil liberties. So this is a dance between government and corporations in the old system. And that ultimately we will be able to, if we can show that we have a technology that we can own, we can control, and that keeps everything completely securely private, then we, are the, we the people, should be able to uh, demand the right to use that technology. Now, a technology like Civic, whilst it is technically doing something that is on a blockchain, is at what is called layer two. Layer two means that it needs a business model to work. What we understood was that you had to drop identity down to being issued by the security giving blockchain in order that you could be issuing that in a way that didn't require a corporation. That's really the big problem is that you need to get issued with this ID, but you don't want it issued by a corporation or a government. You want it issued by all of us so that we can all do this together. And that's the, it's quite hard for people to understand. It's quite an abstract notion. But once you get to that bit and you say, oh, I see, the fact that it's issued by this um, software that we can all trust because it works using mathematics and physics, and you say, ah, and we're all keeping a record of this because we all are able to keep it on a regular PC or a mobile phone, and we all get paid the fees for using the network, so we don't pay over fees to Visa and MasterCard and Stripe and everything else. We don't need any of that. We got our ID. We can verify our IDs. You know, we, we got them issued by the government. We like the government because now we're, we're electing better leaders. So we're like, oh, wow, we got better leaders because we're able to insist on using these new technologies for voting. And that's that's where that's why this is such a big thing. That was the first reason why you introduced me to, to talk was to say, you know, what's the you know, what does this how does this relate? Why is this relating to everything? And I said to you that identity is the root of trust. It's how you know yourself in the modern world. And that what this is the basis of, that's the big idea in all technology, is this is the internet of value. And that's what they didn't solve with the internet 2.0. They solved e-commerce and advertising. And advertising was monetizing your ID. Now we can say, okay, let's go to the next model, internet of value, and that should be owned by the people, of the people and for the people and hosted in that way, not hosted on AWS, hosted on our uh, network, the people's network. It does sound crazy, but it is possible technically now at very low cost. That's, that, and that's... So, Nicholas, 
what you're saying is like the wisdom of the crowd. For example, the people in this room vouch for your identity. That's kind of the decentralized model that you're saying. Because if you don't do any acti uh, activity in the network, then nobody knows you. You don't have any identity. But as you start uh, doing, you know, transaction, then you almost you create your trust. You earn, just like the credit score in the U.S. As you do transaction, as you get loans, then you build credit scores. So this is the same model. Exactly. Imagine yourself just the, having you know, a credit, digital reflection. The credit reflection. score is also very discriminatory against many people, uh, you know, who are outside traditional norms, minorities and other disadvantaged groups. So I'm not sure the credit score is a system we want to model ourselves on, at least you, the way it is structured today. You, you're absolutely right. You want to be able to own your own reputation in a self-sovereign way so that everything that you do is a reflection of you. That's how the world works, right? And so you need everything that you can get a digital signature on that instantiates who you are because you are that reflection and that that reflection should be accurate and correct and stored on a ledger that is of by owned by of and for the people and that that ledger is not transparent. It can't be, you know, like a Bitcoin ledger, which is transparent and it needs to be providing a shield that says, if I want my entire digital reflection to be out in the world, I want to make sure it's behind mathematical secure how cryptography. Do, how, do we, how do we keep it inclusive and diverse, uh, not have a situation like with crypto today, where it really is the elites, who, you know, including myself and others on this stage who are playing in, in crypto or other, other emerging technologies and there are a lot of have-nots who are being left out of all this excitement. And, and Another brilliant question. Brilliant question, Evan. The way that you do it is that the, the security of the system has to be devolved to the, to the CPU, right? That's the lowest unit of computing power, essentially, is the regular CPU in the computer. And so that was what Satoshi started with, the CPU. But as the value of the network, that's where the paradox comes in, when the value of the network goes up, there's an incentive to, and that's why there's, you know, the green argument is, is really a little bit difficult to hold, uh, you know, it's true, because if there's more incentive, you will use the, uh, you know, unhealthy power, let's say. So you need to be able to host this network at the lowest computing unit, which is the mobile phone, because that's distributed very widely, and the, and the CPU that's on a computer. And it has to use the, the, the computing power in a very efficient way. And that's exactly... That's exactly what um, this wonderful lead developer at Veris.io did because he was the guy behind the Windows 95 kernel and behind Java and founder of .NET and technical fellow in advertising. And he saw the power of everything that he'd been involved with over all those years. And he said, what about if we make the CPU the ASIC that is the expensive you know, ASIC that is, is so costly in Bitcoin? And he said, if we optimize the algorithm for the existing system, you could have a system that could be owned by everyone. And that's how you create fairness. That's why, you know, the problems, you know, where crypto is, is the early stages, because it needs to realize this, that it has to be fair that everyone can participate. And that's the challenge. And, you know, just not everyone is understanding that that's the challenge. But now it's solved. You know, we're we're there when, when we're at mainnet, there'll be a technology and people will find us and people will grow and they'll, they'll want to be part of it because it's self-evidently okay. true. 
There's a couple of technology, one called Toda, one is called Chai from the founder of BitTorrent. Do you have any similarity to what they do, Nicholas? Uh, Chia is using um, storage capacity. And um, so in the very, very, you know, very, very generally, you could compare it, but they're using the 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 storage you have on your computer rather than the processor so imagine your computer has a powerful processor that you're not using like most of the time and that processor in the processor in the background is acting like visa and mastercard it's doing all of those transactions and you're getting paid for them because your computer is part of the network that's what we do that's the way to think about it you're we're using the spare capacity on your cpu and your your you own that. It's not us. You know, there's, you know, when I say we, I mean the public network. So when you download the software, you're now part of a public network and you get the fees and your visa, your MasterCard, your Stripe, you, you're all of those things. If you, if you download the software, because you're a node on the network and then all of the other stuff that you want to share with each other, you can share completely privately using this, what's called ZK proofs zero knowledge proofs, which is mathematically provable. And um, yeah, and then, you know, people will be creative and they'll, they'll build on it because it's cheap. You know, merchant processing on the network is 0.0175%. The average company is paying 6%. You imagine going from 6% to 0.175%. You'll get a lot of volume and that means that you'll get a lot of fees for, for using your computer or using your mobile phone. And that's like free money. And if you don't want to do that, then you, you don't have to do it. You can just use it as a payments network for sending is 0.025% aside. So that's less than transfer wise. And so when you're earning money and you're a foreign migrant worker, or if you're a bus driver and you're sending money home to El Salvador uh, or to the Dominican Republic or wherever you're working with, we're working with the bus drivers union, you can just send it for fractions of pennies and you don't have to, you know, they can have a wallet at the other end and it, it can be, con- you know, it's in, you've got dollars, you've got euros, you've got everything. That's, that's the beauty of crypto. And that's where people will use CBDCs. That's okay. You can use CBDCs. Evan, do you it's want okay. to share this article you just sent in about um, Alibaba? Yeah, no, we've seen delivery robots really take off. Uh, Starlink, I think here in the U.S. on college campuses, and now Alibaba is deploying a thousand delivery robots as e-commerce just, you know, goes through to the moon. And these are really fascinating little cute yep. uh, devices. <laughs> I think they're also starting with college yep. campuses because, like, you know, it's a little easier, a little uh, closed environments. And this is a wave of uh, automation, delivery, mm-hmm. drones, robots self-driving cars that yeah, just i just tweeted the world, that article out to the tech news twitter account at tnatw so you can see for yourself one of these alibaba's new 1000 delivery robot army um to handle this e-commerce boom that we are in around the world which has all kinds of interesting impacts that we're going to discuss here in the next 15 minutes because there's a whole bunch of headlines related to interesting um consequences of this boom of e-commerce that we're going through and that in one of those is the need for we can't deliver this shit fast enough <laughs> and alibaba's deploying 1000 delivery robots which you can take a look at at tnatw 
And you can't find people to deliver it. I mean, you know, particularly here in the U.S. with the economy the yep. way it is, for better or worse, At, people oh, don't want oh, to do these jobs. So hold on to that thought you because the next article from our friends in Germany. Uh, one of Germany's biggest trade union calls on workers at numerous Amazon warehouses across Germany to go on strike on Monday to coincide with the online retailers Amazon Prime promotion. That's today. The Verdi trade union said it was organizing the strike as part of a long running battle with the U.S. tech giant in Germany over better pay and worker conditions. Uh, Germany's Amazon's number two market globally. Again, on, on that massive e-commerce front uh, lots of interesting developments there and let's shift to russia where russia's parliament votes to force u.s tech giants to open local offices or face punitive measures just like india <laughs> uh, and just as every country will now do and then the question is are they forcing them to do this and if they don't comply they're all too happy to replace them with their own domestic alternatives as we're seeing in india with coup replacing twitter um other interesting headlines on the e-commerce front app hmm? how about um this is related i guess the, the, the much bigger picture is um, this was sent by uh Faraz, uh that asia's richest man says no option but to make businesses green and uh this is uh oh, let me get to pop up the name here uh mukesh ambani ambani uh, asia's richest man says that he's going to move all his businesses, which includes like uh, refineries and things, to carbon zero goal by 2035. And that's that's pretty kind of amazing to make that commitment. Most people are saying 2050 because yeah. it's really easy not to do anything now yeah. when you say 2050. Uh, but And by the way, I should point out that uh, uh, climate change is not an endpoint problem. In other words, getting to zero by 2050 is not the problem. We actually, it yes, actually depends on you starting immediately to do it. So waiting a few years just changes the endpoint. So anyway, so this is actually pretty interesting because obviously because it has such a big business or group of businesses, but it also shows the trend that other businesses are going to have to follow. And so that's going to so. change things, you know, a lot, which is, uh, that's some good news. Yes, I can thank give you a lot of that. bad news. So back on the e-commerce front, news. Amazon, which uh, is the, as we were just discussing, facing these big uh, union strikes in Germany, is in talks to buy a stake in AI truck driving startup called Plus. U.S. e-commerce giant could buy up to 20% of Plus. Plus is planning a SPAC listing via merger with Hennessy Capital. Uh, and Amazon has placed an order for 1,000 autonomous driving systems from self-driving truck technology startup called Plus. Uh, and now you uh, can imagine why, because uh, they we need this. We need, the spice must flow, as they say. <laughs> and you, we need to. You ordered uh, a bunch of shit, funny. and we want to get it to you faster than humans are willing to get it to you. So we're replacing. Well, humans aren't willing to drive trucks. I mean, there's a there's a well, shortage, and, of and they're not willing to drive them 24 hours a day, 365 us. days a year without brakes, like automated trucks are willing to do. It was yeah. the motto of the East Indian the trading. Spice so must the flow. spice must flow. Your That's crap funny. is going to make it to your house in 24 <laughs> wow. hours, or else. Uh, and humans are just uh, slowing down the whole fucking process. Get out of the way, humans. Let the automated trucks and robot delivery systems in. We got to get this 
there's money to be made, people. And you and you you're part of it. You're culpable. You want that shit in your front door in 30 minutes or less. Um, let's hope they to Dan's uh, point that they are uh, electric vehicles. The Colonial Pipeline ransomware hackers had a secret weapon. It's now being revealed. Five months before the dark side attacked the Colonial Pipeline, two researchers discovered a way to rescue its ransomware victims. Then an antivirus company alerted the hackers. Oh, boy. Shit's going down. New development in the uh, ransomware hackers uh, saga. Um, on January 11th, antivirus company called Bitdefender said it was happy to announce a startling breakthrough. It had found a flaw in the ransomware that a gang known as Darkseid was using to freeze computer networks of dozens of businesses in the U.S. and Europe. Companies facing demands from Darkseid could download a free tool from Bitdefender and avoid paying millions of dollars in ransom to the hackers. But... Bitdefender wasn't the first to identify this flaw. Two other researchers named Fabian Wasser and Michelle Gillespie had noticed it the month before and had begun discreetly looking for victims to help. But publicizing its tool, by publicizing its tool, Bitdefender alerted Darkseid to the lapse, which involved reusing the same digital keys to lock and unlock multiple victims. The next day, Darkseid declared that it had repaired the problem and that uh, now the crypto will flow from the pipeline to the hackers because Bitdefender uh, shit in the punch bowl, essentially. The, um, the researchers were helping the victims secretly, uh, and then Bitdefender jumped in and uh, did a... Um, Put a big turd in the in the in the party punch bowl and kind of ruined the whole thing. <laughs> Special thanks to Bitdefender for helping fix our issues. Darkside said, "This will make us even better." Well done, Bitdefender. Uh, you screwed the pooch, as they say. Uh, Shopify seeks to challenge Amazon. Oh boy, oh boy. Here we go. I've I've. Not is this not one of my other predictions for the past two uh, six weeks or so, and no one's really drawn this comparison that I'm aware of outside of this room. Shopify seeks to challenge Amazon through deals with new 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 partner announcements. Let's ring the cash register. New deals with BuzzFeed and other sites. Shopify, which has become a major force in e-commerce by providing online tools to merchants, is rolling out a new service that will allow content publishers like BuzzFeed to link to merchants in the Shopify network in exchange for a cut of the transaction revenue. According to people familiar with the situation, I fucking love this company. I don't know about you, Shop, but Shopify is fucking fantastic. And let me explain why. What they're doing is truly genius. BuzzFeed is a dying web publication, right? They write uh, clickbait articles about, you know, how people are getting goats pregnant and whatever. And people click the, these ridiculous headlines to see what's going on. Okay, but they're dying, just like all of the news online news media. And that's why they have to start charging customers for a dollar a month to access their articles. You've no doubt seen this. Now, Shopify came up with a great idea. Oh, God, I love this. These dudes are so freaking smart. Just in the same way that Shopify recently is partnering with Instagram, where you can now make a really, 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 really simple 
store on Instagram powered by Shopify. And then the influencers on Instagram are driving the traction and visibility and traffic to those little Instagram shops. And then that Instagram influencer gets a little commission, a little kickback, a little cut, a little getting the beak wet. You know what I'm saying? So now the Instagram influencer is monetizing their influence. They're not just chasing hearts and followers. They're now getting paid. That dollar dollar bills, y'all, they're making it rain over there on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and Twitter. And Shopify is partnering with all of these social media sites to draw, use their influencers to drive that those eyeballs into those cute little e-commerce shops that are now available inside of TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And that's what we call social commerce. And, and spot, Shopify is empowering this, but it, they didn't stop there. Oh, no, there's more. Because now they realize there's other types of influencers on the internet, like BuzzFeed who has a whole bunch of eyeballs and they could drive their eyeballs into little e-commerce shops and get a cut in exchange and start monetizing their traffic uh, rather than just sending them away to the next stupid article or trying to get a dollar out of them every month to read their stupid articles. Why not send them to a Shopify shop for something related in the article and get I don't know, two, three, four dollars for everybody who goes into the Shopify shop and buys something because e-commerce is where the action is at. And that's why Amazon's so goddamn big. So this is a truly uh, brilliant follow up move by Shopify to partner with media sites now, not just social media influencers. And it says the nascent move into the area known as affiliate marketing is designed to to offer publishers and retailers looking for e-commerce partner an alternative to internet retail giants like Amazon and Walmart because, yes, they could send links to Amazon and Amazon would give them a kickback. But but uh, both of which though of those solutions have long given websites that send business their way a small portion of those sales. BuzzFeed already has signed on to the new program and integrated it into its site. Shopify has approached a number of other digital media companies, including several others that uh, the the article itself has a paywall kind of ironically but it, it's a brilliant way for shopify to continue to monetize amanda uh, sent in a tweet letting us know now that breaking news and one hour ago hyundai has now just bought uh boston dynamics the robot company at a valuation of 1.1 billion dollars and hopefully that means we can all get uh, some of these robots in our uh, stockings this Christmas. But notably, this does... You mean the robot dogs? The robot dogs <laughs> and the uh, factory robots that will be replacing the industrial athletes at your nearby Amazon warehouse. Uh, because Boston Dynamics came out with Stretch, their human replacement robot uh, that can work in human design factories. So you don't need a whole new robot design factory. You can now use Boston Dynamics Stretch, and that is also, again, notice in the past six headlines, we had autonomous delivery uh, e-commerce vehicles, the trucking, autonomous trucking vehicles from the factory to the inner city, where they then meet up at an exchange hub and then get distributed to the uh, more small robots that go to your doors. And then we've got the robots in the factory. And do you, do you notice a trend here, folks? Do, do you see what's going on? They're replacing the people. Uh, Monica sent in. Yes. Tyler, 
Tyler, before we move, just one yeah. quick comment I wanted to make yeah. on that article. It's interesting because they squeezed in there. You kind of can't necessarily see it. It doesn't jump out that the company came under fire for allowing Spot, that dog that they're infamous for, for allowing Spot to be utilized by, it says, law enforcement and the yep. military. So they kind of slid that in the article. I thought it was kind of funny just to note no, that. That's a, that's a killer. That's a killer. Oh, app. Jesus Christ. Hold on. I got the sound file for that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Monica sent in this one. Uh, Samsung com- completes shifting of display manufacturing, which, by the way, they're one of the world's largest display manufacturers because uh, they make these TVs you may have seen, these Samsung TVs. You guys seen these things? Samsung uh, TVs and smartphones and computer screens. Samsung completes shifting of display manufacturing unit from China to UP's Noida. I don't know where UP's Noida is. What is that? Uh, Samsung Noida factory is a classic example of success of the making in India program. Well, apparently it's in India. So Samsung moving their display manufacturing from China to India. Well, there you go. That That is interesting news. Great news for India. Not so good news for China. Um, but I think it's because Samsung wants to continue to sell to uh, the EU and the US and the America might start banning uh, goods made in China. Uh, that would be an interesting uh, escalation, would it not? And we already covered the EU privacy watchdogs call for a ban on facial recognition because they want to keep that juicy technology data source for themselves. We covered Facebook officially launching live audio rooms and podcasts in America. And boy, was there a lot more to that article than meets the eye. It led us on a two hour rabbit hole, um, which we will circle back on tomorrow. If you happen to miss that. Wow. It's one of the most interesting deep dives we've ever done. Um, and long story short, uh, the government's going to force every website to identify you in the very near future. Come back tomorrow. Uh, and we will recircle back on that. What super interesting development there. Thank you to Carl and to Renjith for getting into the really interesting details that no journalist is going to know about. Maybe ever. Uh, truly wild. Uh, going back to Amazon and data privacy. Let's connect those two dots. Ring. The you know those camera the camera company that is uh, sharing your cameras with the local police without you knowing, yeah they now have a car cam that uh, you put inside your car, and it was assumed it would look outward and forward. It connects with your phone. It does for sure look inward. Um, I wonder if it shares uh, the interior view of your car with your police without you knowing. That would be interesting to read the fine print on the end user license agreement, although it was never in there, interestingly. No, I think it was revealed later. Um, But um, yeah, they do have the new camera. And then they are also, as you know, working on their own drone that will fly inside your house uh, when you're not home, uh, which is truly uh, concerning as well. And then you've got what else? Ah. The Olympics self-driving cars are now running in Tokyo, uh, which I'm tweeting out right now. I thank you to uh, a lot of people, uh, Cheryl, for this one. I know sent this in originally. And you can see these cars. And when you see these cars, you'll know if you've ever been to Stockholm. Ah, I've ridden in those cars in Stockholm uh, many years ago. (laughs) That's the autonomous self-driving electric vehicles. Um, And now you can see them. They're now running around Tokyo. They're also in um, very identical to the ones in Germany that Angela Merkel was seen stepping off of recently 
and uh, the autonomous thing is really starting to fire up, is it not? You notice this a lot in these headlines lately. Uh, the Bitcoin slump in, is a, a huge topic of conversation at the moment. Bitcoin has fallen to $32,000, its lowest in 12 days, uh, and was last down 7.5%. And it is assumed that it is in some part related to uh, China's crackdown on uh, Bitcoin mining. And where it goes from here, anyway, nobody knows. But the crackdown on Chinese miners might mean that they are offloading coin into a thin market and taking us lower, says Ben Sebley of London-based crypto firm BCB. Production of Bitcoin in China accounts for more than half of the global Bitcoin production. And uh, China's shutting that shit down. Yeah. And sending the price down in the process. Other interesting... Huh? Tyler, Jeremiah has joined us. On stage? He, he's, uh, in the... Jeremiah has joined Hey, us. Jeremiah, welcome hey, back. Guys. Yeah, I couldn't speak earlier, but I love all the headlines. And thanks. I love your funny takes. Oh, thanks. Tyler, you're making me laugh. So one of the, um, one of the acronyms used by BMW is called ACES, A-C-E-S. Uh, Mercedes calls it CASE as just a rearrangement of those, um, those words. So ACES stands for Autonomous Connected electric and shared or as mm -hmm. a service you could use either of those interchangeably mm. so that's really the trend well, that the, the shared part the easily. shared part means you won't own the car anymore but, uh, that the, they're going to be social uh -huh. well i mean uh. that was pre-covid conceptions now you know i don't know if that will be always the case people might be more concerned about their safety it depends on how much money you have i suppose um, but also crypto is part of this. There was a, a company that made a, an announcement last week that when the car, the electric car is an ASUS style car, when it's idle, that it will actually earn Ethereum. It'll be churning and using this engine, which, by the way, is probably not great for the environment. Uh, but um, yeah, that's, so all yeah, of these so things the, that you just said. Are we were tied. talking about how and I, by the way, folks, um, Jeremiah is one of the people that I look up to because he's constantly obsessed with what's coming over the horizon as I am and often gets it right long before other folks. And uh, so do follow Jeremiah if you, especially on Twitter and whatnot, where he's very active and, and um, a, a brilliant mind to follow because he's been in the game, uh, you know, a very long time indeed. And, and is able to connect all the dots going back quite a ways and having that historical context is very helpful. Uh, especially now I'm seeing, things cycles start to repeat in, in interesting ways um but uh, jeremiah is all yeah i just want to i just want to give hey, a salute to jeremiah for being it was in his room that gave birth to the inspiration for tech news around the world honestly and uh i uh i still remember that very fondly and yeah Oh, that's nice. I, I can't take the credit. You you birthed this great program. Thanks. But uh, can you give us just a little nice work personal glimpse of what's exciting you lately? Because I know you were interested in the in the kind of, um, you know, person personal coins and all kinds of things. But, yeah. And so we I haven't heard it. I haven't I haven't heard a catch up from you lately. Sure, I'm happy to. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, so social tokens, social audio, you can see the trend here. And then tech wellness are the three areas that I'm looking deeply at. So social tokens are the, the, the marriage of social media and crypto. Um, and it's, they're not speculative assets. They're, they have APIs and utility, for example. Creators are using them, obviously, to 
reward their fans, but also to access premium content. But also there's APIs where you can allow your fans to access Discord community. Oh, for example, Bumani. Bumani has a premium Discord server and you can access it if you own some of his coin. So that's one example. Um, the other tech trend that I'm also tracking is this one we're on social audio, but it's everywhere now and everybody's quite aware of what's happening. But when I was really starting to cover that sector, it was not well known. And then the third area is tech wellness, which has become the dominant topic as we are turning to our phones as our first place to get wellness and healthcare, especially when we can't visit the doctor or couldn't visit the doctor, is uh, getting more funding than ever. So those are the yeah, three areas. Very that much so. I mean, and they're all growing. We're covering how Google and Amazon are really getting into the health um, space in a very interesting ways. Yeah. For sure. In fact, I think they can already predict and forecast to the month and year on how long we'll live. Yeah, well, I think they already have that amount of data. You need to spend more time in tech news around the world, Jeremiah. This is the kind of stuff we love to go <laughs> deep on. And by the way, you used to have that. I was in your rooms having that conversation, uh, and and you framed it brilliantly. Would you want to know? Because uh, these apps are going to know. And would you? Would that be a uh, you know a subscription service that it could keep you updated on your kind of biological? you know, life um, span. Mm. And also, would you want other mm. people to know? And if not, yeah. how much would you pay? Super interesting stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, hold, uh, stay tight. Who yeah. was that that uh, jumped in a moment ago? Uh, lady's voice. Hey, Gabby, what's up? That was that was me, Gabby. I wanted to um, yep. hi highlight that Michael yeah. J. Burry, who's been tweeting and deleting his tweet, predicted that micro strategy, if you look at his tweet that he d deleted, would buy into Bitcoin. Then it went viral today on Twitter, mm. the micro strategy, big purchase into Bitcoin. But as of like an hour ago, 400 plus Bitcoin miners were seized oh. in Venezuela due to lack of permits. So as the good news comes out, the bad, new mm. bad, bad news comes so back and the, smacks it in the Jeremiah, bit. we found something potentially really interesting today. I don't know if you overheard it, and if you did, then we'll move on. But the yeah. how Facebook came out with their live audio rooms today. At, okay, good. So it's um, yep, and I, then I how Clubhouse, uh, yeah, how they have essentially verified users only for the time being in Facebook, and I'm DMing with somebody from Facebook who's basically confirming, yeah, they're only going to have verified people as speakers on their stages, and the how Twitter has brought back their verification process at the same time that they're doing their their version, which is an interesting coincidence. And then exactly. Clubhouse just partnered with um, um, Stripe's uh, verification, new uh, product that they just announced called uh, uh, Identity Authenticator. And they have four partnering companies that they're launching with, and one of them is Clubhouse. So very interesting that these three social audio apps all have uh, identity verification kind of linked to them in some sense. And we have to imagine it's because governments are very concerned about what people are saying on these platforms. And um, and potentially you might start to see governments um, at even at Facebook's own suggestion that they start enforcing uh, identity verification on sites. Yeah. And why, Tyler, why, why stop there? Why just for audio. Yeah. I mean, we need identity verification, in my opinion, for for all people on social right. media, and I think that would stop a lot of the 
nastiness and harassment. Evan, would you would, I mean, would you be like interested in a position as a lobbyist for Facebook by chance? Because I, I might be able to hook you up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. It's sure. a super interesting yeah, that. uh, situation absolutely. that we can all imagine unfolding, where Facebook would love all that data, anyways. Uh, by the way, we need to verify you all, and you know, um, now that we can monetize that data. Not only that, we can we can these live audio rooms that you're speaking in. There's all kinds of additional data that we're going to be able to take from your conversations, uh, which uh, Facebook can do. I don't think Clubhouse is going to be able to do that for quite some time because it's technically a bit challenging. But um, certainly Facebook. Yeah. yeah. You know, Tyler, ev yeah, every safety feature it, it's a, looks the same coin every time. Else. Yep. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tyler, from, can I just add one thing? Is I. You guys, there's a lot of concerns on privacy for sure. <clears throat> I'm sorry. But there's another side to the coin is in developing countries where lack of basic services like medical services and other services that big tech is going to has a positive ring to it where that's the only solution. For example, where I do business in Iraq, uh, the infrastructure of the, the, the general you know, medical industry is completely broken, to say the least, you know, not just that industry. So, uh, you know, people aspire to the big tech and technology to coming and try to help out as, as much as possible. And I, I can't help but see the, you know, the positive side where privacy is not a concern, uh, given that you get a medical, medical services or any kind of other big services that, that's out there. I just wanted to add mm -hmm. that point. I'm sorry, Thank I'm done speaking. Thank you, Samir. So somebody just sent in a tweet, uh, Sir Surabi, from, which I assume you're from India, perchance, uh, that fintechs in India are acquiring troubled old banks. And this is truly interesting, a sign of the times to come, she says. And the Economic Times says that a joint venture um, uh, uh, between a couple of big fintechs are launching a small finance bank with, da, 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 da. yeah, and they're taking over an old troubled bank. And that is really interesting because this is a continuation of, a, of an interesting development across multiple industries where you have data companies Fintechs didn't start out as banks. They're more data companies who deal in finance. That's why they call themselves fintechs. And then they get a banking license and then they become a bank. But they're fundamentally a data company, just as Google's a data company, Amazon's a data company. And then these data companies are starting to, they're built in the cloud. And now they're starting to build stuff on the ground. And Amazon uh, notably built a bookstore. And then now they've built supermarkets. And now they're building... Uh, medical facilities and even a hair salon in London. And then in this case, the physical, the cloud-based banks, which are data-based, which gives them an almost unfair advantage in fighting the traditional banks over time. Whoever has the most data and the mastery of that data is probably going to win that space. That's how the how tech has been playing out thus far. And so when the fintechs start buying the old troubled banks and rebranding them as you know, um, um, Revolut, you know, bank, physical locations, that's when things start getting very interesting indeed, right? Um, interesting new development that these big cloud data-driven companies start to put uh, feet on the ground in, in brick and mortar. And that gets really interesting in the case of Amazon again, where it was revealed in the past few days, uh, maybe three days ago, 
that in addition to buying all the Whole Foods, they're now, and they have their own little Amazon, Amazon Go convenience store, little mini supermarkets. They now have their own new, it just launched in Seattle, 36,000 square foot proper American supermarket. That ain't like no European supermarket, by the way. It's about 10 times larger. So that's the way us Americans do it, you know, like these massive city sized <laughs> supermarkets like Europe has never seen. So this big supermarket is, by the way, uh, has no staff of any kind. It's just got a shit ton of cameras that, you know, track everything about you in their face and the way you walk and can identify you even by the way you walk, let alone by your face and all, knows everything about you and every item in your basket. And no problem. Just go ahead and walk out. We got you. You're good. Go on home. And um, and it charges you. And but what's interesting is that location will also be used as an Amazon goods return location. So if you buy something that you want to return, you don't need to put it in a box and ship it back. You just take it on down to the supermarket and leave it next time you go pick up your groceries. And you can imagine they'll bring that to all of the Whole Foods markets they own and any other physical locations they start building. Oh, and with their Amazon Health, no doubt they'll start adding in their own little clinics, uh, Amazon Health clinics, because when you do your telemedicine session with your doctor, if the doctor does need to come from you, well, they'll probably be coming over from one of those uh, little clinics inside of one of their supermarkets. Yeah. Get ready for the future, folks. And part of it is these cloud companies putting uh, presence in, in a brick and mortar um, feet on the ground kind of way. And I know this in part. Yeah, Tyler, go ahead. Amazon's also selling the, those solutions to other grocery and retail companies. Boom. As well. Ladies and gentlemen, you're now starting to see why I'm so affectionate about Mr. Jeremiah Oyang. <laughs> because indeed, I, I even suggested exactly this, which was Google's retail store that just opened 48 hours ago in Chelsea. And the question is, why is Google opening a retail store? Finally, you know, Apple's had these stores forever. And of course, Microsoft tried their retail stores, didn't work so well. But why is Google doing a store? And one might think that Google's going to test out all kinds of crazy shit in that store that is developing future products for future retailers to utilize. And they're going to productize all kinds of interesting things around maybe facial recognition cameras, around all kinds of technologies about they can see stuff inside of your Android phone and use that data to their benefit as a physical retail store. For example, um, shop your Shopify playlist on your phone when you walk into a Starbucks uh spotify is now uh making it possible for that starbucks location to aggregate all of the playlists of everyone in that store in real time and generate a dynamic playlist based on the playlist of the people in the store at that moment to play the most optimal recommendation at that moment and they may or may not have tested the increase in sales uh, when such a product is utilized in the store and it might have gone up 15 percent, and i might know too much so i'm just going to shut up and so now you can see why Google is also has a real keen interest in brick and mortar retail. And to do that and to make all these tests secretly on their own and keep all that juicy, juicy, juicy test, test, crazy, cool shit to themselves secretly, they need to have their own store. Because if they partnered with um, uh, uh, Starbucks, then Starbucks is going to know that Google's got all this crazy, juicy shit and leak it to Apple. And they can't risk that happening. And now you know why they get built the store in Chelsea. But you didn't hear it from me, folks. You didn't hear it from me. But Jeremiah's right. Yeah. <laughs> Tyler, just on the, on the point of like, um, sorry, Jeremiah, after you. 
No, I'll go after you, please. I just spoke. Just wanted to give the audience a bit of color on like a big retailer that I'll not name was previously using the white labeled Amazon um, uh, stuff for all of its like website and, you know, and then and then the replatforming of that over onto, you know, a new product, let's call it like a new product X. We're, we're talking in the hundreds of millions to do that replatforming to get off that service. This the so what is like the, the amount of revenue in the white labeling is is going to be significant. I don't know if that's helpful, Tyler. I just thought like we're talking hundreds of millions. Just yeah. Well, for before one we hand it back to Jeremiah, check this out. One of the biggest breaking headlines in the news tech space today, which no doubt Jeremiah saw, is that Amazon is being reported from the UK that the Amazon warehouse and employee internally got camera footage of them destroying 100,000 products a week that had been returned and throwing them into landfills. You see, did you see this, Jeremiah? Mike Butcher from... Uh, I, I, yeah. I'm surprised. It's pretty, a pretty yeah. crazy story. The interesting yeah. thing, Tyler, many of us... But many Evan, of you will know, hold that. Hold, hold, hold the thought, because... Now that adds interesting additional context to the idea that they're going to have brick and mortar stores everywhere that you're going to return this stuff to. And perhaps those stores could, as Ikea does, let you purchase blemished goods that people return for whatever reason. I mean, some of them, I, I, what percentage of Amazon returned goods are actually not repurchasable? And why not let people have, why not have Amazon thrift stop, uh, thrift shops of stuff that people returned? Uh, I mean, the funny it's thing not, is, it's Amazon not economic is... to it's not economic to return it back to the retailer. It's a yeah, logistics exactly. problem because they don't make money on logistics. They make money on advertising and the AWS business, and they will make money in finance. So when I when I ask to return stuff to Amazon, yeah, they sometimes they do. Yeah, they they have That's a right. they have an algorithm that basically says, is it worth more yep. to, just for me to keep it? Yeah. Or to take it back, and yeah, that's Nicholas's point exactly. There's no economics in it for them. None. There used to be a program where you could purchase a, a grab bag or a box of a bunch mm. of returned Amazon stuff, kind of like, um, yeah, I I saw that a few years ago. There's like a whole YouTuber that was their shtick. They would just order those boxes and open them. And, and, and what was the other point? You were going to jump in right before Dave cut you off so, so rudely. <laughs> well, it's slightly switching topics. We were I was going to pick up I mean you you hit so many yeah. great topics like I wanted to come back to the knowledge uh -huh. that Amazon Go stores have but maybe we no. can finish the recycling. No, no, we're, we are we have ADHD here. Go ahead with Amazon Go. Yeah, we, we move around. Yeah, go, we have uh, go. we have yeah. ADHD <laughs> what's that over there squirrel. Um so I don't know Tyler, <laughs> have you ever been in a Amazon Go store? Okay, so I've been in a few. I'm, I'm in Silicon Valley, and, and they're here. And if for those who are not there, try to look up. Look upwards. Now, they're actually going to make it difficult for you to look up. They're going to be shining very bright LED and halogen lamps downward at you, so you can't oh, see what's really on the ceiling. Oh, I know what's on the, the ceiling. What do you think's on the ceiling? <laughs> we love it. <laughs> yeah, there's... <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Jeremiah. Tell cameras? us what's on the ceiling. <laughs> cameras. Tell us what's on the ceiling. Yeah. On the ceiling. But not just any cameras. Oh, high snap. definition cameras. Oh. In bifocus. But in bifocus. And they shine bright lights on you. No, no. The bright lights double help so them capture your you. face 
Yeah, I know. Exactly. Uh, keep in mind, each camera system is bifocal. It comes with two cameras six inches apart so oh, they can boy. get stereo data on how far you are moving. Um, and there's also apparently in some stores, I could not find them, cameras within the shelves that are in eye line. So with cameras above you to track the movement and cameras in the shelves to see what are you grabbing, this is how they can identify what is the product you're getting when it's not scalable to put um, near field communications or sensors right. on every single product. It just doesn't make sense, right. especially if somebody could rip them off. So here's the thing, though. If they have this information and they know who you are, because you have to scan your phone on a QR code when you walk in. That's how you open the gate. And then from there, you can grab whatever you want. And you can throw it into your bag and walk right out. You don't have to show the product. There's no cart if you don't want to. So, I mean, it's it's literally like it's somebody shadowing you to and see looking over your shoulder. What product did you get? Now, because there could be cameras in the shelf looking at your face and it's high definition and they could use micro expression um, algorithms to determine and even look at how your face changes when you see different products. They could actually identify exactly. what products you're going to get before. Oh, you it's better than. Oh, grab. oh, there's more. There's oh, Jeremiah, there's too. more. Have you heard about what um, the VR uh, eye tracking? There's cameras inside of like the Oculus and the uh, HD. By the way, it's already been publicly revealed as a partnership with a company called Toby in Sweden that the both Oculus and the HTC Vive both have cameras that look at your iris. Do you know what kind of data they can get from your iris? Oh, yeah. They can identify you're, who, you're, who you're sexually attracted yes. to, all kinds of data. Yes. When you're excited, you're right. Gen when you're, you're tired. Your gender, like, your age, like, your physical you. health of concussion, chronic pain, vision disorders, obesity, Parkinson's disease, your mental health, depression, PTSD, autism, or eating disorders, your drug consumption of alcohol, tobacco, cocaine, oh, MDMA, and cannabis, to, just to name a few. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Are you stoned or not? Yeah. Yes. Can it detect overconsumption? You've technique? been found... Uh, terribly overexposed. Uh, you're way down the rabbit hole. So um, other, yes. Actually, we have the receipts on that, don't yeah. we? On your, your hand. So um, <laughs> other interesting headlines going on. Boris Johnson uh, plans a UK science superpower with $21 billion of R&D spend. Uh, let's, with the, here's the juicy quote. Uh, with the right direction, pace, and backing, we can breathe life into many more scientific and technological breakthroughs that transform the lives of people across the UK and the world, Johnson will say, according to experts of his speech released by his office in London. So $21 billion, as the US recently did as well, a similar bill to boost, although the US took it one step farther to say that they're doing this uh, to maintain the lead uh, of China, to which China responded that this is uh, inflammatory and how dare you and we we had that headline and we read it and it's uh, China's upset that America is funding its uh, technology efforts. Um, Volvo joins forces. Huh? <laughs> actually, is it actually Tyler? Is that positive or negative for industries? Um, I'll let the people with, with a higher pay grade uh, debate that one. Yeah, it depends how it's used and how <laughs> it's different countries use money different ways is interesting i i know how sweden does it it's kind of an interesting way they do it there and speaking of sweden volvo joins forces with northvolt on european ev battery factory plant will com 
will be capable of supplying 500,000 cars a year. Joint R&D center in Sweden will be operational next year. And I hesitate to because I feel bad every time, but you know that uh, Northvolt's uh, founder and CEO is my dear friend, Peter uh, Carlson, who spends uh, Christmas and New Year's with his entire family and with me here in Thailand. And I spend every monthly visit when I do my monthly events in Stockholm, I stay at his house and have a um, dinner with him and his family and breakfast with his wife, uh, Angela, every morning. And uh, she's brilliant as well. And they just raised... Uh, they were in the news last week for raising another $2.75 billion to build another gigafactory for the Germans so that they can um, go electric and compete with Tesla. And, and um, so congrats to Peter for this big Volvo partnership, which is of not much surprise, being that you know Volvo is still essentially based in Sweden. Uh, venture capital markets make a record $17 billion bet on crypto in 2021. And you can see we retweeted this out. Faraz sent it in. And it um, is essentially triple what they normally invest. So crypto investments by investors is up about 300% in 2021. Um, breaking news that Apple... Yes? Tyler. Uh-huh. A short one about Norvolt and Volvo. Uh, Gothenburg says that they will not place the uh-huh. factory in yep. the Västra Götalands region in the vicinity of Gothenburg, that they will place it somewhere else due to our infrastructure yeah. uh, fluctuations. I, I imagine knowing Peter and if he has any involvement in it, that they're going to optimize it for logistics uh, similar to how they built Northvolt's factory way up in Huleftio, which confuses a lot of people until you get down into the nitty gritty of the per you know, kilowatt price of energy. And it gets cheaper as you get colder, which is it's way up north and the logistics of the railways and all of these things. There's a whole bunch of uh, the site selection also for Tesla factories, gigafactories. And this Northvolt factory, and it's there's a real art to figuring out the logistics locations of all of these things. Um, so anyway, and by the way, Peter and Elon together sat down and figured out the map. Uh, and by the way, they also figured out that to fully electrify cars, if every car manufacturer switches over to electric, you're going to need 100 gigafactories, of which uh, Tesla's up to about their fourth and fifth. Uh, Peter's up to about his second now, uh, although we'll no doubt get up to five in a, shortly. And um, that means, you know, we still got a whole lot of gigafactories left to go. They cost about $4 billion to build one. And um, yeah, we still have a lot of progress to make on the on the battery front. But they figured out, you know, the number that was needed and where they should be placed geographically uh, in advance. So Peter knew he, where he was going to build it in Holeftio, uh even before he built it there. So um, interesting other news happening at the moment about Apple Daily to shut down in Hong Kong unless Hong Kong police release frozen funds. And this story just continues to get sadder and sadder, which started with the stalking of Apple Daily's uh, founder, Jimmy Lai, who was an outspoken critic of the CCP in Hong Kong. And then he was being stalked and then he was arrested and then jailed. And then it's just been a really sad ongoing development. And now the paper's editors have been arrested. And now 
the paper looks like it's going to have to shut down unless uh, the headline says the police release the frozen funds. But you would be a complete idiot to think they would ever do that. So embattled Hong Kong pro-democracy newspaper Apple Daily will cease to operate on Friday unless authorities unfreeze assets linked to the arrest of its top editors and executives, according to a decision by the board of its parent company. And that's the end of Apple Daily. And that's the end of freedom of press in Hong Kong. And then the real question is, as we covered yesterday, a really interesting development that the tech journalists have not picked up on and probably won't for many weeks to come. But our friend Jane Wong in Hong Kong, being one of us and the geeks who join us here at Tech News Around the World, figured out something truly interesting. That one of her friends, who's a pro-democracy advocate in Hong Kong, who was the youngest member of the Hong Kong legislature at the age of about 23, who went to Yale, he has a law degree, he built a website with Wix. And the Hong Kong government didn't like his website. And they asked Wix, who coincidentally is based in Tel Aviv, to shut it down. And they did. And then he, being a lawyer, phoned up Wix and said, WTF, W-I-X. <laughs> what the fuck, Wix? Why are you shutting down my website? I didn't do anything wrong. And upon further review, Wix agreed. He didn't do anything wrong at all. So they apologized formally, publicly, and re-published uh, his website. And then Jane, being a geek and a bit of a hacker, was correct in hypothesizing about two days ago, I bet Hong Kong is going to block his website at the ISP level and get the telecom providers to block his site because Wix is now not playing nice with what Hong Kong would like to do. And sure enough, about 12 hours later, the ISPs in Hong Kong did shut it down. And that's really, really interesting because that's how the Great Firewall of China started. And now it has interesting baby step implications that Hong Kong itself might become part of the Great Firewall of China, which means bye-bye Twitter, bye-bye Clubhouse, bye-bye Facebook, bye-bye Google, bye-bye nearly every app that every Hong Konger has been using since the internet started because they've been part of the Western internet. And now we're seeing what is potentially the beginnings of Hong Kong being absorbed into China's internet. And But nobody's reporting it. So I guess it's not an interesting story for the tech journalists uh, or they don't understand it or they're just not paying attention and they don't know the right people. But we'll see. I'll give it three weeks. And as we've noticed here at Tech News Around the World, where they're now covering the chip shortage from TSMC, give them three weeks. They'll come around. They'll get to it. Your, your aunts and uncles and your, your company team members will start asking you questions in a few weeks at the company barbecue picnic about what is what is this Hong Kong uh, blocking of a Wix website all about? And then you can tell them uh, that Jane, who joins us here every day, was the one who figured it out. So uh, next headline, your face is the next frontier in ESG investing. According to uh, Bloomberg Finance, asset managers are putting pressure on tech firms over their implementation of facial recognition software. And boy, does facial recognition sure come up a lot in the news these days. After a successful persuading the energy industry to curb its climate impact, the fund management world is turning its attention to reigning in tech. But there's a danger that by trying to cover too many non-financial bases, 
investors will end up weakening their clout. And the primary focus is on facial recognition technology, which is developing rapidly both as a law enforcement tool. Thanks to our friend, Charles Johnson, who used to join us every day. And he co-founded the company Clearview AI, which is the world's largest facial recognition app, uh, as reported by the New York Times. And um, yeah, it's a very interesting space indeed. And there's going to, it's a whole huge mess with facial recognition, as you know, and we cover that at length. Just keep following us every day. (laughs) These are the ongoing stories and plot lines that we cover extensively and with the people directly involved uh, in a way that no journalist can. So uh, 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 Cal, if he's still with us, I don't see him. Shared, shared, yeah, this you you shared this article about from Google for startups backs Scoodle in a 1.6 million dollar round. No, yeah, it's a little, yeah, a little startup. But what I, if it fitted in the theme, what was interesting is uh, I know these guys well, I actually mentored them and uh, advised them as they're incubated here in Oxford. Um, and uh, Biz Stone invested, oh, nice, introduced him to Biz Stone, uh, Uh from Twitter, yeah. So he's actually the the founder, uh, Ishmael is the guy who invited me to clubhouse mm. so you can blame it what do they do for everything um but uh, uh so yeah it's a it's it's, it's a tutoring uh, um uh, platform but what's interesting is that they're treating the tutors as real real influencers right so they're creating their own con so it, it isn't this kind of oh let me the classic one is you know they in they introduce the tutors to the to the pupils right or the parents mm-hmm. of the pupils or whatever and then they and then People take a cut. That's your kind of classic tutoring platform. But what these guys are doing is they're making the 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 the, the tutors real stars, like they're influencers, content creators, um, and they get out there. They become you know help them become famous, and uh, uh, and then and it's from there that the uh, the the students interact directly with the tutor. And so I thought it was an interesting um, theme around our whole content creation and stuff. And they're and they're Google's getting very interested in them. Um, they gave, gave me a call a couple of days ago about that as well, which is very interesting uh, in for, for reasons we've gone um, uh, at length about. <laughs> yeah, Google, exactly. Google getting into yeah, education exactly. is far more interesting than you would care to imagine. Yeah, and then also, yeah, with the and yeah. with the content creation, right, with the platform yep. there, right. So yeah. yeah. Uh, y- yes, Tyler, I I have huh? a question for you. Um, First of all, thank you for sharing that about Jane and yeah. what happened with Wix. Um, I'm uh-huh. here in Israel, um, and it's 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 nice for me to hear that that uh, Wix actually put it back up because I have noticed some like concerning overlap with Israeli companies upholding some, um, I guess, undemocratic Chinese policy. So I'm I'm happy to hear that uh, Wix is not one of those companies. I just passed by their headquarters the other day. Um, Earlier when I was on, there was um, someone who was speaking. He was actually the one who sent you the article about um, Stripe and the and the um, cl- how Clubhouse Rengen. was one of the four. Um, I, I meant to follow. His name is Renjin. Sorry, one more time. Renjin. How do you spell that? I meant to follow him on Twitter. Off stage by the. Thank you so much. He. Keep it up. He's I'm an enjoying assistant every of my of events in Sweden each year, uh, even though he's from India. Well, he's a, he's a Greek, and he is the one who may, helped us connect that really interesting dot that Clubhouse is already listed as one of the marquee partners on the Stripe's new 
identity verification website, uh, which was truly interesting. And by the way, it was mentioned oh so subtly in the last Clubhouse town hall meeting that Clubhouse would no longer be allowing emails as a form of um, signing up for accounts. That you're going to need a little more kind of verification and creating accounts going forward. Yeah, bring out the papers. Your papers, please. <laughs> bring out the papers. Um, check the tech war for your wrist. <laughs> and thank you to whoever sent this in. These are all, by the way, if you're new to tech news around the world. Everything we talk about in real time is being shared on the Tech News Twitter account in real time. So you can read all of these articles yourself and share them and save them. Um, and you can sh uh, send articles into Tech News Around the World by simply including our Twitter account as part of your tweet so that we can retweet it to our ever-growing list of very beautiful and intelligence. Uh, we now just broke 3,000 Twitter followers in just about 30 days. So we're about uh, 100 followers a day and growing like a weed. And do follow that because we are starting to test other social audio platforms. And if you want to get notified when we go live on other apps um, to, to test out tech news around the world, uh, you'll need to follow the Twitter account. But uh, this one somebody sent in about tech's war for your wrist. The tech's biggest companies are ramping up competition for the real estate between your hand and your elbow, otherwise known as your wrist. The big picture, the next big hardware platform after the smartphone will likely involve devices for your eyes, your ears, and your wrist. One big challenge for designers of this wearable computer of the future is where to put the central processor and the battery needed to power it. Your forearm looks like the best candidate for now. The driving news Facebook is readying a competitor to Apple's watch for release uh, next summer uh, with two cameras. And by the way, we tweeted out an image of uh, a new wristband that can be added to the Apple watch, which itself has a camera in the wristband so that you can do FaceTime calls on your watch and take selfies uh, from the camera in the wristband uh, of, on your watch. A truly interesting innovation. And indeed, this uh, journalist is, is correct. Scott Rosenberg from Axios talking about the future of the wristwatch battle because it collects so much goddamn data. And these tech companies can't help but come up with all kinds of new ways to take all kinds of interesting data from you to empower their ad networks. And that's the name of the game, folks. <laughs> Thanks for playing and thank you for your data. Um, and that's how it works in 2021. Other big article. Hey, Andre. Hey, Tyler, welcome. can you hear me? This is Andre speaking. Hey, I just wanted to add about this Wix thing because it really triggered me. Uh, they still broke the cardinal sin by pulling down the site. So I, I don't care if they took put it up um, like two days later. Um, I think it's really important for everyone listening to understand that they took it down once. That's all it took. That's all you're lost in revenue. Um, and uh, Triggered. We've got a trigger. Somebody, hold on. Somebody's triggered. Andre, Andre, Andre is super triggered. <laughs> super triggered. Speak, speak. Speaking of triggers, CNN reporting that the 1970s moon buggies are still up on the moon. Uh, breaking news, everybody. Uh, <laughs> I, um, GM and Lockheed Martin want to make new ones. There, there are three 50-year-old cars parked on the moon, uh, acquiring hefty parking fines, no doubt. Now General Motors and Lockheed Martin want to build some new ones and put them on the moon, too. And you can read all about that and their new designs for their incredible new moon buggies. Oh, yeah. You know you want one for Christmas. Get yourself a new Lockheed Martin moon lunar buggy. Uh, it's going to be the hot new Christmas gift for 2021. And we're tweeting that out. Where are we going to find that juicy story? 
Where are we going to find uh, I just that, tweet, that? I just tweeted story. it from Tech News Around the World Twitter it. account at TNATW. So will it will it be Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos who auctions off the uh, uh, the real moon buggies uh, before they find a trip to go retrieve them? And then how I mean, how much would a, a, a first generation moon buggy go for is another question. Um, a, a big news out of India, Airtel and Tata Group announced collaboration for Made Wait. in India 5G. Oh boy, India's getting into the 5G game them damn selves because they didn't want to join with Huawei. And uh, Ericsson's just, well, it's not the cheapest solution on the market, so they're going to make it them damn selves. Bharti Airtel and Tata Group on Monday announced strategic partnership for implementing 5G network solutions for India. Good on you guys. You got the Indian 5G market booming. And that was kind of goes back to a point I made a week ago, which is India is getting to the point in their development where they can get, they get a seat at the big boy table, the big the big parents table, I should say. I mean, I'm using jokes here, but the uh, the adult table at dinner because they got the the goods to do the technology them themselves. It's not just the U.S. and China anymore. And now now interesting to see India stepping up to the major leagues. Uh, being able to play, yeah, yeah, Tyler, we we we're working um, extensively with operators in India, both on the fiber side and the the five G side. So their strategy is focused around small cells. So very interesting times for them. And I think you know you're seeing a lot of manufacturers looking to reposition themselves in regards to manufacturing capability to um, locations outside of uh, of China. Principally, that's been in Far East Asia, like Vietnam, uh, the Philippines. But more and more, I think you'll see yeah. sort of focus on on India. And so this this news is part of the big reliance strategy to deploy Internet throughout the country in order to allow for all the other e-commerce and other services to be supported throughout India. And that's why Reliance is a huge conglomerate uh, developing subsidiaries in yeah, all of these associated businesses. Just a clarification there, Sarah and uh, and Jonathan. So you've got uh, uh, Mukesh Ambani with Reliance, right? He's he's going to go down 5G, uh, double down on 5G, but also Tata and uh, separately, right? So there you've got two competitors in a sense. Is is that correct or? No, I think they're going to go jointly. From the article that I've read, Mukesh Ambani is going to collaborate with I think Tata. That's... Wow. Okay. That's I fair. think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, I've read. yeah, one will focus on the software side. So software defined networking, which is very important for um, uh, open RAN networks, so small cell type networks. And uh, and uh, Barty Airtel has already done this. I mean, we supply Barty Airtel, it's public knowledge with small cell 4G solutions at the moment. So they'll just take that strategy and extend it rather like Rakuten does in um in Japan, and they've shown, they've proved that they can have a, um, a software-defined network, the Rakuten communications platform that they've developed that is, you know, it replaces the likes of Huawei and Nokia and Ericsson, although they have uh, a supply partnership with um, with NEC, um, they control the technology there. And I think sort of Barty Airtel wants to continue what they've developed on the 4G side and extend that into the 5G marketplace. But obviously they need 
software development resources, guys, and that's where Tata comes in. You got to look at the Twitter account, Tech News Around got the it. World, right now. I just tweeted something. I can't believe my eyes, and I need you to confirm that I'm not losing my goddamn mind. TNATW, and take a look at the top tweet from Rex Chapman of a guy floating down Broadway in New York City, Manhattan, about <laughs> three meters off the ground, like he's goddamn Superman. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Yeah. Hot sweet Jesus, that's what I want for Christmas. It's actually the, the evil guy from spider Wow, that was like a human drone. <laughs> Yeah, it's it about like time. He's, he's, he's standing like he's on top of drones. drones and technology. Yeah, it's like a drone that skateboard. Like he's flying. He's standing like on top drone of drones, of like a superhero character, flying through the middle of Manhattan. How quick? How quick? Leave it to New York gonna... City. So this has been going viral on Instagram <laughs> for at least two the kids months. Are, we're, we're behind the, the kids. That's how it works. Um. And they're laughing at us at tech. Yeah. I, I commented when I saw it. That's going to be me next. <laughs> That's how, and I'm like, okay. Does anyone know yeah, any, anything cool. about I'm the device? To get one of those oh. devices. No. Hopefully. Tyler, there are more videos in the comments. I don't uh, Somebody was asking. Like, Interesting. Is it the same person we we spent a lot of time talking. Yeah. Well, yeah, most uh, a, a, a drone carrying heavy stuff like that would, would have a very short battery life. Um, global technology company Honeywell on Monday announced digital authentication technology for pharmaceutical products in a bid to fight rising counterfeit crime in India. I'll leave uh, that just as it stands. Uh, <laughs> that's interesting. Yes. Well, we often have... Can you explain I, that? We don't know. Uh, there's a lot what of is, unknowns, but my, the point is that there we a lot of our conversation today was about digital authentication, and now Honeywell says today on Monday, digital authentication technology for pharmaceutical products in a bid to fight rising counterfeit crime in India. An acute shortage of drugs um, to treat symptoms of COVID-19 has led to increased circulation of counterfeit medicines. There are reports of fake antiviral medicines, blah, 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 with rising demand for vaccines. There's a concern that fake vaccine markets exploding, blah, blah, blah. The coronavirus pandemic had led to an influx of fake medical products worldwide. Honeywell is applying its authentication technology for pharmaceutical industry in response to a growing menace of counterfeit products. Our sophisticated authentication technology feature printing and substrates, which can be easily identified but are difficult to alter and duplicate. Our technology offers brand protection for manufacturers and assurance of authentic products for end users. The solution comprises of a digital code that is embedded on the packaging of pharmaceutical products. The end user can validate the authenticity of the product by scanning the digital code with the help of a smartphone, letting the user know that it is safe to use the software that validates the product's authenticity through a database is accessible through Honeywell app available for download for iOS and Android users. Very interesting. Geeks going to geek out, y'all. Make solutions for problems. Tesla unveils its new supercomputer, fifth most powerful in the world to train its self-driving AIs. Here we go. Tesla, as you may or may not know, 
took a very unique perspective on how to do fully autonomous vehicles, saying they're going to build theirs on cameras only, not with LIDARs and sensors and radars, which uh, really put them in a unique um, position in the in the industry. And people said, nah, that's not that's going to take too long. We're going to pass you by. Elon Musk said, nope, AIs are going to evolve much faster than they than you think they are. And we're going to be able to train our camera systems to recognize everything going on and understand everything they're seeing. And now they're ramping up that effort. Uh, as the old, as grandpa used to say, don't bet against Elon Musk. Um, they now unveil their new supercomputer to train the self-driving AIs so that it, the cars can become autonomous. Tesla has unveiled this new supercomputer, which is already the fifth most powerful computer in the world and is going to be the predecessor of Tesla's upcoming new Dojo supercomputer. It's being used to train the neural nets powering Tesla's autopilot and upcoming self-driving AI. Over the last few years, Tesla has had a clear focus on computing power both inside and outside its vehicles. Inside, it needs computers powerful enough to run its self-driving software, and outside, it needs supercomputers to train its self-driving software powered by neural nets that are fed an insane amount of data incoming from the fleet of cameras. CEO Elon Musk has been teasing Tesla Dojo Project, with which apparently consists of a supercomputer capable of an exaflop, one quintillion floating point operations per second making it one of the most powerful computers in the world. Tesla has been working on Dojo for the last few years, and Musk has been hinting that it should be ready by the end of this year. But the company has developed other supercomputers on its way to Dojo. And now Tesla's head of AI has unveiled the latest one during a presentation at the 2021 conference on computer vision. Uh, during the presentation, they gave a shout out to Tesla's supercomputer team and showcased their latest work, Tesla's uh, new supercomputer and um yep so now they might it looks like they're gonna have the last laugh after all potentially or at least at least making steady progress towards fulfilling their claims that they will in fact have uh, fully autonomous vehicles based on cameras that will be far superior to um radars and sensors that don't understand what they're looking at don't bet against elon musk ladies and gentlemen I'm quite curious if there's anybody on stage who is still betting against Tesla and Elon you Musk. Get a, there's a whole bunch of autonomous car people who claim that there's no way he's going to get all of these cameras to, you know, compete. And uh, the man lands rockets on the ocean, ladies and gentlemen. If, if you've done any research on their giga presses, I mean, they're positioned to uh, do a lot of a lot of work in the world uh, with how they're manufacturing and stamping out their cars. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm definitely not betting against Elon Musk, but, you know, I'd, I'd love to see how um, uh, someone could, I guess, bet against that when they look at how, how they position themselves in different countries with their gigafactories. And now they, I think the company that makes the gigapress um, uh, received their biggest order ever, ever. Uh, from Tesla, um, all so they can just, I guess, stamp out the Cybertruck or something a little quicker. So we've got um, Israeli. Re and speaking, Go ahead, Dan. speaking, speaking of uh, computers, um, what's happening over on the the PC side with the Apple um, notebook sales went up something like fifty percent when they introduced the M1, yeah. which is insane, you know, to increase your 
your sales by 50% and it's destroying Intel, which is, there's a whole bunch of different articles on that. And that, it really is something to see because they're just jumping ahead in the technology by such an incredible amount. And that was just the first version. The next version's coming out in a few months and it's going to just absolutely blow away, you know, any, any PC. And it's interesting to see that happen, you know, where it's just the, just such a huge jump in technology uh, puts everyone else in the dust like that and, and changes the market. It's going to be a little bit like they have with iPhones. Like, you know, they have like the incredible market share of iPhones, but that wasn't true of uh, the PC market. And looks like it's going to happen there as well, just, just because of their advances in processors. Really interesting. Yeah, a whole bunch of stories on that. When, when he revealed the Plaid uh, car, the new Model S, he like they were toting that it had... Uh, PS5, quote unquote, level performance just in the console alone. Um, <laughs> uh, so, like, you can play Cyberpunk in there, apparently. Yep. Yeah, but of course, I was talking about Apple and the M1 chip, but, but yet you're correct about uh, the Tesla having incredible performance uh, for gaming and things like that. But I was actually shifting the to a sim, you know, complimentary story, not about Tesla. Oh, so yeah, I'm oh. driving, so I'm, I'm half listening. It's my fault. So I mean, would anybody be surprised at this point if Tesla did come out and say, hey, by the way, we're going to start doing our own chips? Uh, by the way, well, that, that was one of the big headlines today. Uh, but they are. They are they're self-driving chips. Or um, hold on. They're hold incredible. that thought. One of the big headlines of the day was all about um, Google announcing they want to do their own chips and not just Google. Uh, other major tech leaders want to uh, kind of taking a page out of Apple's book uh, with the, the success of M1 and internalizing that. And um, so that was a headline, but it's, it's gone, gone by. I, I missed that. Was that, was that what I mentioned one or two days ago over the weekend the, the, uh, about that Whitechapel chip thing they're doing with Samsung? Was that it? It, it might have been. It we officially? just read the headline and moved on that, that Google's getting into chips. Yeah, they all have to switch to ARM like uh, Apple did, but Apple still has the advantage that they integrate the hardware, you know, the computer itself, the software, and the chips. And that gives them a leg up that's really hard for everyone else. And bottom line is just Intel is, is a lot of trouble. Yep. Uh, just clear. a few more to go here. Robots may soon be able to self-reproduce. Will this change how we think about evolution? Nature is full of examples of biology adapting to its surroundings. And from the bottom of the oceans to the skies above, nature... Uh, natural evolution has filled our planet with a vast and diverse array of life forms with approximately 8 million species adapted to their surroundings in a myriad of ways. Could robots ever reproduce the, uh, is the whole topic of this article that we retweeted out from The Guardian. Thank you to whoever tweeted that in. Israeli researchers develop electronic nose to detect diseases and poisons, uh, which will be very helpful to friends of Big Vladdy Daddy. It will be possible to disperse the gas sensors over a wide area in the city to, in order to warn of the presence of dangerous gases and air pollution. Thank you for whoever sent that in. And uh, that's a really interesting development indeed. Uh, uh, speaking of robots, uh, Evans sent in this one that a robot can save farmers from being buried alive in a mountain full of grains. <laughs> the grain weevil robot is designed to keep farmers and their children out of harm's way. Uh, I, I did not realize that this was a problem of farmers falling into their grain uh, stacks. 
it ha it have it happens a couple of times each year in Sweden. It's all they really they not only suffocated they actually crushed Lovely. into uh, suffocation. The the mechanics are exactly the same as quicksand, unfortunately. Well, let, yeah. On a high positive note here. Sweet <laughs> dreams, everybody. Welcome to Amazon tech destroying news. millions of that items news. of unsold stock. We covered that one. People love sharing that one. Nvidia G GPU graphic processor unit prices in China fall amid crypto mining crackdown. Well, that's one sign of good news for people that need NVIDIA graphics cards that due to the China's banning of crypto mining, now that the price of uh, NVIDIA GPUs is uh, dropping, that's there's a positive note. And there's that's the, the only positive, there's people are just, there's an endless avalanche of a waterfall of headlines that we just can't keep going on and on i will save uh the rest of the waterfall for tomorrow we just had a record breaking four and a half hour session i don't think we've yeah yeah wow that was Marathon. a fun one that's a big session yeah. thank you tyler tyler how did you get the energy for this one this yeah one. what do you eat just Huge. now yeah, overdose on yeah you ate some no i don't or something else i was eating i was eating <laughs> well, popcorn well most of the time well but um well done it works Yes, thank you well, for joining works. us. We that <laughs> Click on the title, follow the Tech yeah. News Club, and join us tomorrow in either time zone. And yeah. uh, do follow. We're going to go into see the Tech again. News Canada room with our friend Heyman. So hopefully, we'll see you there or see you back here tomorrow. Thanks, everybody. See you, Thanks, Thanks, Beautiful. See you everybody. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, <laughs> we can do that. Good, good point. Happy belated Father's Day to everybody. Cheers, everybody. Yeah. Take care, guys. Amazing song.